Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. There's nothing left for us to do Find the strength to see this through We are the ones who... Hello folks, thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk Part of the Conservative Conversation And also part of the Patriot Journalist Network And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Welcome and Happy New Year to all. Thank you very much. I apologize for our hiatus uh, for about a month, but unfortunately, as you can see in the beginning part of the description of the show, uh, my family experienced some uh, deaths in the family, which kind of took me away for a while, Uh, but we're ready and excited uh, for a new year uh, to come back and Enjoy our time with you, the grassroots. Uh, now, tonight uh, we have uh, guests on. We have plenty to talk about. Looking forward to uh, this year. Uh, but first, what we'll do is we're going to bring on Kelly uh, to introduce our guest tonight. So let's go ahead and welcome our guest, Kelly Mordecai, author <laughs> of The Hidden Fourth Branch. Thank you very much, uh, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing really well. And I'm so excited to have our guest tonight, Cheryl Blychester. And, you know, uh, if there's a situation where the environmental regulations are placing a very heavy burden on business, wouldn't it be nice to have like a Batman-type beacon that uh, would be EC for environmental uh, consultant? And so uh, I'll just tell you a little bit how I met Cheryl, because I've done environmental consulting, environmental engineering, and worked on the design of a process plant in Davis, uh, groundwater pump and treat, and that's when I first met her on site. Um, help them with, uh, you know, testing and water samples, et cetera, et cetera. And I got to know her over the years. Gosh, I think this was back in 96 or 7. And uh, I've just been stunned. I really view her as senior counsel when I get into a situation for environmental consulting. And I I just can't say enough good things about her. Of course, she's a Republican on the uh, Central Committee of Placer County, been elected for many, many years, and uh, her knowledge and experience in the ins and outs. She's been on the State Geology Board. Um, the governor, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, helped um, hired her, if you will, hired her to, to help with some of the levy situations, get stuff done quickly while uh, at the same time protecting the environment. So I guess with, with, it's my well, great she's honor. She's now taking into, over the, uh, the apprentice. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. For yeah, ground. yeah. The governor. Um, yeah, it's it's such with great honor that uh, Cheryl is on on the show. I hope she is able to uh, bring common sense as she gets into the federal EPA advisory board uh, to bring the common sense necessary for uh, reasonable environmental standards while protecting the environment. So with that, I I say hello and welcome uh, Cheryl Bychester. Well, let's go ahead and uh, bring her mic on. I see her there on the line. Thank you very much, Cheryl, for coming to the show. Welcome. How are you tonight? 
I'm doing great, and I'm sorry about your troubles with your family, Robert. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was definitely a, a rough last three months to uh, the year last year. I'm glad to see uh, 2016 go away, and I'm ready for, a, you know, a new year. That, that's for certain. I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so we'll go ahead and uh, bring it back uh, to you, Kelly. If you have any questions, of course, i got some, and we've got – uh, plenty of time tonight, uh, so we'll go ahead and bring over you. And then uh, one of the things I want to, you know, talk about before we go over to some of the major points for tonight is, you know, you know what your greatest accomplishments, what you know, have been, Cheryl, you know, things of that nature. But let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Kelly, what you've got, and we'll bring it, uh, you can segue her in. Well, well yeah, it's real simple. Um, when you actually are cleaning up the site, there's a lot more than cleaning up the site. You have to investigate it. You have to write reports, um, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of work. And there's a difference between us in the field who actually get things done and protect the environment versus those who, I'll just say it this way, they think they're going to save the world by recycling uh, their pop cans. So the in and outs and even the legalities, the regulations, how attorneys are involved, um, it's a whole different world than what the political spin is on protecting the environment and so Cheryl's going to take us through uh, some of these particulars and so I guess um, why don't you tell us about um, uh, let's, let's say let's look at how you've uh, maybe protected a, a client per se from um, excessive regulations excessive regulations it's pretty much all that I do nowadays I since I am off of the uh, California state boards and I'm out of the business of making regulations and enforcing regulations since then I I was able to um, to observe quite a bit of corruption and at a minimum regulatory overreach while I was on the state boards and it disturbed me so much that that's actually what triggered my going back and getting my doctorate in organizational leadership. What I studied in my dissertation was specifically how regulatory decisions were made and who influenced those regulatory decisions. So once I was off of the board, I used that doctoral background, the information I got from that, and my experience on the boards and, of course, my technical expertise to really start going back, pushing back against this regulatory overreach. And it seems that, um, you know, as, as the saying always goes, follow the money. And so if you find out who, who, where the money is, you'll find out the most about who is actually driving regulatory decisions. And it's rarely the mom-and-pop applicant who's trying to get some project through with, you know, with their investments. That's never where it's, where the influence is going to lie. So uh, examples would be things I, I can bring up one recently because all my ongoing ones, of course, I don't want to talk about. Most of them are in litigation now, usually with the Understood. state or with the Fed. But uh, one that I'm working on pro bono, and therefore I don't have a client exactly at, at all. You know, there's nobody that's paying me. Um, I came across a... a very difficult site in El Dorado County where uh, it was discovered that there was very, very high pH ponds that had settled after the rains started after our drought in California. The rain started flowing, and there were high, high, high pH ponds higher than 13 up in the 
lye level, you know, of, of how oven cleaner level of pH. And wow, when, yeah, and this is on public land or immediately adjacent to public trails. And when I first became involved, it was only because the person who was interested in disclosing this, um, he he didn't speak environmental very well, and he wanted to go in front of these environmental agencies with somebody who could interpret what they were telling him and, and help him explain what he had found. And when I went there, I found the regulatory officials of El Dorado County were were working very hard at pretending like they knew nothing about this. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that they would lie to my face about having no records about this release, about having no file, no case officer assigned to it. And this was a historic lime kiln site. And, and so when I, I left that meeting completely bewildered by the lack of attention that these, that these agency officials who were assigned to protect the people of El Dorado County would their lack of interest and their complete denying of there being a problem, including the public health officer, the doctor there, basically said this is no problem. So I went, I went home and got on the computer, and in half an hour I found out that there had been two grand juries adjourned over this issue and that the Environmental Department of El Dorado County had been uh, directed to correct the problem, address the problem, and they had written back saying they're not going to. And that was supposed to be the end of it until I got involved. And now we're a year and a half farther away from that, and they have done a, they did their own testing. Um, a pH in the, in the alkalinity level, of, you know, so we're, there's acids and there's bases. And if your pH goes high under bases, and when you get above mm-hmm. 12.5, it is by definition hazardous. It's so by definition a hazardous waste. And the county was saying that it wasn't. And they were trying to make excuses for not addressing it. And I was, my main goal at the time was just to protect the public, just do enough to protect the public while they have time to fig- and make time to figure out what to actually do with the problem. And all I wanted them to do was put up a very stout fence around it so that kids couldn't fall off their bicycles and roll into the ponds and, and be covered oh, yeah. with, this, with this, you know, flesh gelatinizing goo that was in the ponds. And so... Uh, so that's all I wanted. It took a year before the county finally backed down, and they didn't put up one fence. They put up two fences. <laughs> so, so well, finally, and but they're even supposed to protect the environment, right? Why wouldn't they want to address that? They didn't want to address it. I, I suspect I'm starting to receive evidence from other people who now I, I, I did a video about my um, concerns about it, and uh, I'm starting to get information from people who've been thus far afraid to say anything. And it, it appears that there are some former county supervisors who are financially involved in a development that was going to go in the area. It has to do with some sort of level of, of what I believe is probably internal county politics and corruption. But they, but you know what? I've I've been around politics and and uh, much much more um, in your face corruption than this. And it's not what phases me. What phases me is that they see a direct threat to human health and the environment and refuse to address it. The other thing that was really ridiculous was that in the past, the private landowner that was adjacent to this 
he was ordered by the by the county regulatory agencies to clean up that lime that that lime kiln waste from his property it cost him over a million dollars and if you drew a line at the property line the the private sector side of the line was a million dollar problem and you go an inch over the line into the public land area and that was no problem at all according to the county so yeah sure i have seen this too and and there's some inconsistencies there's people not qualified we had a project in rancho cordova where you know the concern was the regulator wanted to continue to propagate his job we we were um away from the big oil pit and we did testing and drilled wells and all this and it would have taken a backhoe and a dump truck a day because all we found was domestic waste but it kept they kept his property even though it was a separate legal parcel with the other two and it was very frustrating and I've seen some other frustrating environmental things that clients have spent so much money. And one in Santa Cruz is that it's just simply nitrates. They're worried about that. Really? The homes yeah. all around there pollute the ground so much more than this private hotel. But supposedly they have the money to clean up whatever. And, and it's there's some terrible inconsistencies and some incompetence. And it, it gets very frustrating when we see this. And we see even, Cheryl, I don't know how much you can divulge about your recent case where you're an expert witness. Um, it looked like one person, one business was using environmental regulations to shut down their competition, and she she got in there. I don't know how much you can divulge about that, but uh, oh, I I won't talk about that because there's so many other ones that are like it. I have been on numerous cases as an expert witness where a, a one usually it's some somebody who makes a big donation to an elected official, so that person gets the ear of the elected official. And and mm. has a, wants to put a competitor out of business, and so makes a plausible argument for doing that, and exercises this elected official who who of course for their their kind of favored constituent will go and and start making waves within the government, and all of a sudden uh, an entire government body will crash down on a private citizen, who who in the cases that I defend have done nothing wrong, and they will have their reputation dragged through the mud, and they'll spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars defending themselves um, in court. And and it's a it, it happens over and over again. And usually at the bottom of it, there's some really basic uh, government overreach, and they've been doing it so long that they don't even see it as being a corrupt practice. They they just think that that's the way things are done. Well, yeah, let me give an example of what, you know, the tank angst um, doing treatment plants at uh, gas stations. Um, a surveyor associate, he said, you notice all these tank angst? I said, yeah. You notice how, after many years, the mom-and-pop shops are gone, are gone and the Texacos and the Chevrons and the Exxons are taking over. I says, yeah. I said, do you think that was intentional? Hmm, I never thought about that. I called up Cheryl. I said, well, yeah, that was uh, apparently one of the goals is the big oil companies, and they were driving these tank tank reg- regulations. They did. They put the mom and pops out of business. Yeah, what and, was worse uh, than that was that pre-mid-90s, I think it was 1996-ish or so, but pre-1996, uh, if you found an underground storage tank on somebody's property that was a, a gas tank or, you know, in some mom-and-pop gas station, 
it's most it was most likely leaking and it was getting into the soil and the groundwater and mm-hmm. the way to treat that at that time the state of the art was to install massive pump and treat systems with above ground treatment of the water and disposal of the water until you had treated all of the groundwater in the area sucked it all in towards the source and and removed it mm-hmm. and those systems cost hundreds of thousands millions of dollars over time and they had to be monitored every year, and, and they would run for 20 years or 30 years was the plan until they had cleaned up the water. And these mom-and-pop shops were, they thought that they had a $4 million asset that they could leave their children only to find out that it was a $10 million liability. The stress <laughs> of, of finding out that they had this problem I'm telling you, I had clients that died on me from the stress, from the physical, their physical deterioration from this mental and emotional stress that they had on them about cleaning up these underground storage tanks, which in 1996 we found out that natural attenuation and uh, in the subsurface would attenuate the hydrocarbons as fast as our pump and treat system. So if you had just left it alone, it would go away as fast as we were helping it go away with this pump and treat system for millions of dollars. And so these, I can tell you right now that more people died of the stress of, of this unnecessary cleanup operation that was the state of the art at the time than ever died of being, you know, poisoned from underground storage tank releases. I, yeah, I, I've had uh, several of these sites, but one of them, we had a soil vapor extraction system was basically an internal combustion engine. When the piston stroke would, you know, do the intake, that's how they'd suck the chemicals out of the ground. Well, the chemicals were so bad, the, the gasoline was so bad, the engine kept shutting off because it got too hot. Well, then I hear about natural attenuation, the Lawrence Livermore report, and I'm like, well, then what in the heck are we doing? The bacteria is taking care of it. it, it it's just it, it's mind-blowing, some of these yeah, so that, or, yeah. Now, generally, with underground storage tank releases, what we do, first of all, we make sure that the tank has all of its secondary containment and it's all monitored accordingly, according to all regulations. But then if we find a release, we remove the source and, and all the saturated soil around that source, and then we monitor it to see if it's headed towards any, anything that it can affect, like some open water or somebody's well. And make sure that it's not, it's not uh, the plume isn't migrating towards some receptor that's going to be impacted by the contamination directly, and and then just kind of calculate how fast it'll go away on its own versus digging it all up or or pumping it all out. Now, now what we do? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so many things have changed. Some of the technologies have advanced. Um, Why don't you tell us about the? Schwarzenegger event with the uh, levees. Well, so this goes to what I want to do on a national level, is that um, California especially has heavy-duty regulations and lots of agencies that will attack any issue. When I was on the state flood board, um, I got appointed to that board right after Katrina. And so, of course, floods and our levees in California were a high priority and received a lot of attention. 
and we had a number of levees that were, that just absolutely immediately needed to be repaired. But in California, that kind of a process would normally take two years to four years to get through the authorizations and approvals to repair a levy. And uh, it was under Schwarzenegger. He pulled together all of the agencies, and I represented our flood board, but there were uh, federal agencies and state agencies and local agencies were able to identify the problem, work through every environmental I- issue that we could anticipate, agree on a fix, come up with plans for a fix, and get it done all within the same season before the next flood season. And, uh, and it was just a remarkable thing to see in California. And that's the kind of streamlined process that has to be brought to the federal level. So you, you took a two- with, about a two-year process and brought it down to what, less than a year? Uh, several months, yeah. And uh, okay. and it was really, you know, it, it, and it was done on an emergency basis, but it worked very well. We were able to be protective of swains and hawks and, and other endangered or listed species, and, and we were able to be – so it was a very accelerated program, but it wasn't abbreviated. We didn't skip over any issues. We we actually did everything that we were required to do. We just did it in a very tight time frame with a lot of attention to detail, and that's what I would want to bring on the national level with the you know if I get a position in the Environmental uh, Quality Council, uh, you know on the federal level they um, they are the ones that direct NEPA and NEPA has a lot of categorical exclusions. I would want to expand that so that President Trump's Infrastructure plans could get could get done could get through the process addressing and, and, everything. And, and real quick, Cheryl, uh, NEPA NEPA is the National Environmental Policy Act for folks who, right. who don't know the acronym. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, it is, <laughs> and it's what it's it's the major heavy duty regulation that comes up front before you can you can advance on any project, and with so many infrastructure projects ahead of us, we need to clear the path for that to go as smoothly as pro- possible. And there's been that NEPA Act is pretty, was pretty antiquated um, in the Obama administration. They, they have worked on and presented actually within the last year a revised version of it. But their focus in revising this act really was on adding greenhouse gases and how to address greenhouse gases to it, not in how to, how, how to get the creaking bones of this act you know, to lubricate it and moving again and, and agile and, and responsive to what we need in this environment, you know, that that we are trying to get, you know, the economy rolling again. Kind of like what they're doing with NASA. They had NASA, try, instead of doing that space exploration, they had NASA trying to go out of its way to prove global climate change. Right. They They've put all their focus in that. And it's a misuse of money as far as I'm concerned. I'm an engineer, so I look at things very practically, you know. I, I don't look. I don't want to study something to death. I want to. I want to know what we know, know what we think we can get to know, and then move forward and get something done. <laughs> I'll let the so I'll let what, the climate so, scientists study climate change uh, uh, until they drop dead. But as engineers always say, you know, scientists dream about changing the world, and engineers actually get down and do it. <laughs> so, no, no. One of the aspirations I know Kelly has, at least uh, for yourself, is, is to get on that uh, Trump's uh, environmental advisory board. Uh, 
Yeah, and it's so, the Environmental you know, it's Quality things, Council is the name of it. Is that what that is, Environmental Quality Council? Right. And then I was, I was, uh, must have full uh, disclosure here. I was, uh, then I looked up on, and my voice is still, I'm still trying to cover, so if I sound funny, I apologize. Uh, so I, uh-huh. guess, I guess I was uh, studying, uh, researching the, the wrong boards uh, before the show tonight. Well, that's all right. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being on, on the EPA's advisory council either, to tell you the truth. Either one is fine <laughs> with me as long as I have a position where I can influence this ex- expediting of the um, regulatory policies. I've had an opportunity to do it in California where it could probably get as complicated as ever in the environmental field. And, uh, and there's a lot of... Uh, political passions behind a lot of what goes on in California that we were able to work around. So what perspective, what, what, what what, what perspective other than what's normally seen on, you know, AI uh, council on environmental quality that, that you would bring that would be, you know, outside of of the norm of the status quo of what we generally see in, in one of those, you know, panels councils. Well, first of all, the people that are appointed to those panels, councils um you know some of them are are very proficient in their fields but usually the leadership of those councils are predominantly attorneys or policy wonks they don't come out of industry they don't come out of the wor- of the real world where people have to work and and manage and actually deal with these regulations that they're confronted with and so these people They've written lots of regulations and policies to get around it, but they've never experienced actually having to confront those things and get their and and you know get to work and get their jobs done. That's something Would that you... will have had experience with, especially in his construction field. So he'll have very very strong sympathies towards people who have to face things that are just antiquated. And we, you know, if people think believe in climate change, I have to say, you know, the entire environment is changing. Our whole world is changing. We have different population levels. We have, we have different things to address. And so we need to put our money towards things that we know and know how to fix and, and can, you know, grab the low-hanging fruit, the easy things to fix, and, and then razor focus on, on what it is we need to get out of our way in the environmental field while still addressing the environmental issues in order to get our economy moving again. One of the biggest yeah, things about our, our economy and the environment, the biggest nexus in that is that if we don't know what our regulations are going to do to us on a project, if we can't quantify it and move forward, then that, that expresses itself in terms of risks. And the more the risk there is, the less people are going to jump to it as an investment and, and the slower it will be for our economy to get ro- rolling. So the more we can uh, solidify our regulations and make them solid points that people can rely on how the government is going to rela- react on every regulation and it won't be at the whim of the regulator you're facing, that's, that's how you're going to get the economy moving. Well, that's a huge piece right there. I I want to uh, focus for a, a minute on environmental priorities. Now, yes, we do have environmental problems. Yes, we have we, decades of solving these problems, but we only have so much money, okay? So have you seen where money was blown on the wrong um, constituent of concern? That's what we call it in the industry. You know, this chemical is a constituent of concern. Have you seen money blown um, that wasn't a wise use of money. 
I've seen, um, well, the underground storage tank issue is a good example where people were spending an awful lot of money on something that that really we we shouldn't have been spending our money there. We had better priorities. An example in California is that um, we have aluminum listed as one of the drinking water pollutants that we have to track, but aluminum, straight straight aluminum, not industrialized aluminum, straight aluminum as it is, is not very toxic. It's, it, might, it might have a color or a taste, you know, nuisance factor to it, but it doesn't become toxic in, in and of itself unless it's industrialized. And, uh, and so tracking aluminum, we found out, was just wasting our time and wasting our money, and it was an additional charge in the chemical analysis that had to be done. And so by dropping aluminum off of it, we could have put our priorities at something more prevalent in California like arsenic or mercury, and uh, and instead we spent a lot of money on aluminum. And when the state water board wanted to remove aluminum as one of the required drinking water standards, um, basically the environmental industry, you know, environmental activists, and basically the lawyers in the state told the boards that they could not remove aluminum because that was moving backwards in the environmental field. You could only add more strict requirements. There was no provision to ease up on any on any restrictions. So when we look at constituents that are a priority versus a budget, there should probably be a cost analysis done. Okay, here's our top ten, we should spend the money on that instead of something that looks politically cool like aluminum. Is that your perspective? Exactly. And and there's there's something about this NEPA requirement. There there it, NEPA is a way to to identify all the environmental issues so that it's taken into consideration in your decision-making process when you're doing a federal project. Well, the, the goal of NEPA says to balance the socioeconomic impacts with the environmental impacts, but there's no way to quantify the environmental impacts, so you can't do a straightforward cost-benefit analysis. And that really is something that should be put into the environmental discourse of this country, is that we have to quantify our environmental efforts so that we can know where best, you know, where we get the biggest bang for our buck by putting our money there. And there's, there's, um, there's a downside to throwing money at things that we don't have enough information about. Uh, one of those things, we were very, very reactive about DDT, and, and ridding ourselves of DDT and, and other orga- organochlorine um, pesticides, but and it and it probably did something in, in the United States, but the level that we were looking at in the United States was how many people out of how many more people out of a million would die from eating a teaspoon of soil affected with DDT for the entire 75 years of their expected life. How many additional people out of a million would die? And if it was one additional person would die from eating a teaspoon of pesticide-affected soil every single day for 75 years, then, then, then that was considered a toxic level of DDT, and we had to clean up towards that level. Well, what happened from our ban of this cheaply produced DDT in the United States because we have protection laws about dumping things that we aren't authorized to use here against uh, you know other countries 
is that all the countries in the tropics where people are dying of malaria and yellow fever mm-hmm. and all those other mosquito vector uh, diseases, more, many, many people died, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people died because we, we restricted the cheap availability of DDT from their use. And that's so many more people died of DDT, of not having DDT, than ever died in the United States proven, to be proven, died of DDT here. Not that it's a great thing to have, and if we can restrict it and find substitutes here, that fine, that's fine. But we didn't intend the consequences of the rest of the world not having access to this cheap, easily produced uh, mosquito pesticide. So, so Cheryl, some of these decisions that are made, you know, DDT, gas facing cleanup, et cetera, et cetera, aluminum, they're made by the top board people on environmental boards, okay, and would you say that they're just not competent, but they're more political appointees, and that's why some of these stupid decisions have been made? Um, I guess I wouldn't put it that way. It probably ultimately ends up that way, but the, what happens <laughs> is that a lot of people are appointed. Yeah. I'm just more yeah. direct at it. I've had frustration. More direct, but, but, I mean, if you look at the environmental issues in the United States, it just empirically, you can tell that it lines up according to political bent. You feel one way about an environmental issue if you're a liberal, and you feel pretty much the polar opposite about it if you're a conservative. And and very mm, not always just, the case. And I, I can tell you about that not, myself. Go ahead. Well, I, but I have some, you know. But I have. It's not on every instance, you know. But that tends to be how things how things line right, up. Right. And so that tells you that they're not really looking at the science. They're having some political philosophical feelings about it not necessarily science i bet you that the issue of global warming lines up more clearly more causality between being a democrat or a republican than it does in how much of a science background you actually have well yeah that's really yeah well tell us about the boards of california you did a study (laughs) of the water boards of california and um, I know we've talked off air over the phone over the years, but I was stunned at some of the results of the political appointees that they didn't quite know what they were doing. Can you tell us about right. the water um, they, California? So I studied all the different but theories real of quick, representation. Real, and real quick before we do that, i got to do a, a programming note. We are at the bottom of the hour. I'm just a few minutes uh, late for this. But uh, first, before we continue, let's go ahead and real quick hear from our friends at the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show, you're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely, folks, check out that website at www.patriotjournals.com, as well as this show's website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Thank you very much, and let's go ahead and bring it back to our guest, and that is Cheryl Fletchester, and also to you, Kelly. Go ahead, Cheryl. Thank you. I like that PSA. I like it because uh, one of the things that I came out of my doctoral dissertation on on regulatory boards, 
thinking was that we need a lot more uh, public participation, actual participative government going. Um, the more people get involved in understanding and looking at the issues that they care about, they'll find out that there's lots of avenues to become involved in our government day to day. And it's exciting and it's rewarding, and I can't tell you how much I would encourage it for everybody. Appreciate it. Yeah, Thank I'm, you very I'm, much. Hey, yeah, I've been involved in the, in the local county issues and, you know, put a somewhat of a stay on the $1,000 a day for building a deck without a permit, and that's reality, folks. But, um, yeah, the, the decisions of these environmental boards in California, um, I, Cheryl, you were telling me they were, many of them were political appointees that didn't work 40 hours a week. They were getting um, a six-figure salary. Um, you you um, were able to talk with some of the state legislators about your findings in your in your doctorate uh, dissertation. Can you tell us a little bit more about what what you saw in California with these political appointees? My uh, so the political appointees um, changing their complexion in the 1970s, where it used to be they were all trustees. They were all thought of themselves as and were appointed because they were the best and the brightest in their fields. And the concern came about that they were being, in, a lot more industry insiders were being appointed than need be, and they were being, the term is captured by the industry, and so they were being uh, influenced by their, their industry to go easy on industry and light on other concerns that they were supposed to be addressing within the state. You know, light on what the public benefits are, or light on environmental issues, et cetera. And so boards started being appointed um, just to kind of fill out a socioeconomic demographic. And often half of the boards would be just lay people that didn't know very much about the topic. And there's ideas about why that should work and why it shouldn't work. But when you have serious, high-level discussions about very technical issues and you have half of your board made up of people who have, uh, you know, limited ability to follow the discussion, it's, it's very difficult to make well-considered decisions. So um, it starts to explain maybe why there is a pendulum swing, if you will, um, with even some overreaching regulations, overreaching regulators, um, what you just discussed is maybe why there was a pendulum swing, and maybe we can get back to uh, reasonableness and still protecting the environment. Right, and and uh, what what happens now is that a lot of the policy makers, the people that are appointed to high level positions federally and and in a lot of state positions, I imagine too. They are come from attorney backgrounds or poli sci backgrounds, and not from people who have practical business experience. And Obama's administration was particularly guilty of that. He had so few people in oh, his yeah. administration that had actual, you know, real world experience, having to work under the regulations that were being promulgated. So um, it's very important that. You know, and I've seen the regulations from all sides. I've made regulations. I've, I've uh, held hearings, presided over hearings to enforce regulations, and I have uh, gone after the people that were regulating, that were over-regulating or in, disproportionately regulating to 
um, to get them to, uh, you know, it's, it basically comes from a level of corruption more often than not. On the water boards you were talking about, uh, there, there was um, – I found out that the staff and the attorneys for the boards are the ones who really ultimately are the underlying decision makers and not this board of people up in front because the staff can can distribute the knowledge that they have really um, they can sway the vote by what what information they provide to the board members or not and there's many uh, many board staff who will just provide the information that makes that that makes the point for whatever decision they want to make and don't even offer the information for other points of view. So that will definitely drive a, a decision. And uh, the boards will defer to the, to the professional staff often, especially the, the half of the board that aren't themselves professionals. So it's, um, it's important that people stay on top of it. But what was going on in California, and especially on the water boards, is that they were being driven by the attorneys, and there was one attorney uh, uh, who actually got herself promoted to a, the state resources board um, who she was threatening board members. She was going to board members, part-time board members, employers, and threatening them if votes didn't go the way she wanted them to. It was really awful. And, yeah. uh, and on some of the boards that I sat on, you saw the executive directors uh, making emphatic statements that were just, patently not true trying to sway board board member votes it's it was uh it, it was it was far worse than anyone can imagine that it is seeing it from the inside it was really amazing well you know um nope. attorneys attorneys do have their place in the environmental um protection and we have now uh trump's appointment for the head of the eps Scott Pruitt, who is the Oklahoma Attorney General, he has sued along with other secretaries of state, or sorry, attorney generals of states. They have sued the federal government to, to back down, back down, back down. The Sierra Club, uh, their comment about Pruitt's appointment was like sending an arsonist to a fire. Um, what, do you, what, do you think about, what do you think about that comment, Gerald? Well, I I I like the appointment of Pruitt. He um he's a go-getter and he's uh um he has challenged the EPA's overreach quite a bit. He's definitely a states rights person and so am I to the extent that it can, you know, it can be driven down to the state level. So I I definitely um I definitely think and of course attorneys have have uh, their place. And often most boards have an attorney that's appointed to them because in the rulemaking process, you have to be able to say things that, that make sense from a legal standpoint because the main thing you're trying to do, the reason why you have these administrative regulatory boards or administrators at some level, is to avoid ending up in court. And so if, if you ultimately have those regulations written that just about every time you're going to end up in court, then you're completely defeated the whole process of having a regulatory situation to begin with. So what you're what you're saying is that the regulations are so tough and difficult and unflexible, they're going to come after you with attorneys and fines. I've had clients that I kept warning them, look, you're putting a bandaid on a broken arm. Regulator come out and say, look, you're going to get to at least ten thousand. They're going to hit you with. I mean, I've been trying to tell you stop putting the bandaid and put the broken arm in the sling or something, but they do come down really hard uh, in some yeah. situations. And so if 
Well, I, I just throw out your throw out your suggestions, Cheryl, how to make the regulations a little more reasonable, a little more workable, so that environmental agencies can't strong arm people with with attorneys and fines and liens and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well. Uh, uh, it just has to be recognized that we are in a changing environment, altogether changing environment. Uh, not that many years ago, we talked about peak oil and when we were all going to run out of oil. Well, that's not the case anymore. And our regulations have to reflect that we have a changing world, all the time changing world, and so that we can be agile. Like we had these major droughts in California that went on for years and years, and a lot mm-hmm. of our regulations for like fisheries, we're talking about cold water fisheries, well, our cold water was turning warm, but people still had to try to maintain cold water fishes, you know, fisheries when they didn't even have cold water to work with. It's crazy, and, they, and the regulations were not in any way adaptable. They could not be made adaptable to address actual situations that were going on that, that the people with projects had no control over. So that has to change, and, and the NEPA regulations have to change, and they just went through this big you know, revamping of the NEPA regulations, but they they were talking about global warming and not overall changes to the whole um, the whole framework of it to make it much more flexible and much more case by case reactive. You know, so that you could address everything. And the one way to get infrastructure through quickly, like we did with the levee projects is to, at the very beginning, identify the stakeholders, bring them into the project design development, because once it's designed and everyone agrees to it, then you'll have so much fewer roadblocks going forward. And they kind of tried to do that with the NEPA revamping that they did, but they didn't quantify it, and they didn't, they didn't have any um, consequences if you didn't get this going you know, through swiftly, and they had no rewards for getting it going. So they had no... Um, they had no way to influence whether people actually did that or not. And one of the ways that it was handled um, here in California was we had a Permit Streamlining Act, and it basically gave date certains that each agency had to respond by. You had 30 days as an agency to say that an application was complete and so on. Ultimately, there's a provision in it that says that if you don't get the responses on time, you as a private individual and applicant can hold your own environmental hearings. You don't have to wait for the government to do that. And you can bring in all the stakeholders and notify them according to all the regulations and hold your own meetings and declare your environmental um, regulations cleared. Nobody does that here because the regulations don't close at the end. There's no place to get the state to acknowledge that you did that. So... So you might end up getting sued anyway. But that kind of a thought process where you have alternatives is the way to go. Now, two of the, uh, two of the issues, you know, as, as a member of the Council of Environmental Quality, and we hear a lot about them, is, you know, carbon reduction initiatives and clean energy uh, initiatives. What would be your approach uh, when it comes to these two issues? Yeah, a lot of the carbon emissions Um, discussions have revolved around solar energy and wind energy and other alternative energies. And we have to look at what we have already. Here in the United States, we have uh, hydropower and we have nuclear power. Those are very, very clean energy. So is natural gas, a very, very clean energy. There even is such thing as clean diesel and clean coal. 
if we spend as much money uh, going after technologies that are already matured and well-developed and going after making, refining them and making them even safer and even more suited to our purposes, if we spend a lot of money on that, we'll get a bigger bang for our buck than we will if we're developing new technologies. And that's not to say abandon new technologies. It's just, it's just a decision about where to put our money. We have... Um, I, I belong, I'm at, on an advisory council for environmental hope and justice that came out of the Washington, D.C. Center for Environment, Commerce, and Energy, and uh, the African American Environmental Association. They joined together and they made this environmental hope and justice organization, and I'm on that advisory council. Uh, Norris McDonald developed it, and there's a guy, uh, uh, Mike Schellenberger, who, who he's written lots about. And environmental issues. Um, we've come together to try to save the nuclear industry right now because after uh, after Three Mile Island and then Chernobyl and now the Japanese uh, Fukushima mm -hmm. Daiichi plants, right? Um, everyone's against nuclear power, but they really shouldn't be. We have we have learned a lot. We have learned that. The nuclear power part of it didn't fail in Japan. What failed were the conventional backup systems. And so we need to strengthen, fortify, and reassess our conventional backup systems to nuclear power when we have to shut, shut one down in an emergency. That's a lot cheaper than shutting down a nuclear power plant and finding substitute energy for, for all of that, and that's very clean energy and very advanced technology that we're perfectly capable of running. And so it would be well, I think uh, one of the, trying. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you said I think one of the, and, and maybe not as much as meltdown, that's, that's an environmental concern. Now, with nuclear power as is, I'm, I'm frankly not a big fan of it because of the nuclear waste and what are we going to do with all of that. Um, and you mentioned money and, and, and technology. I want to bring something up uh, you know, when you're finished with that. Uh, that new Gingrich uh, brought up with, you know, with new technologies and ways it, that does have more to do with nuclear, but, you know, I'm talking more about nuclear uh, fusion instead of nuclear fission, which we have in our power plants now. But we'll, we'll, we'll touch that actually, in a little bit, but go ahead and fusion, take your thought. Nuclear fusion definitely is viable, and our big uh, constraint right now is finding a containment for it that's effective. But we can probably get there. And if we had put as much money into nuclear fusion as we put into some of these other energy projects, we'd probably be there by now if we had done that over the last 40 years. But nuclear well, and, fission, and as far as the waste goes, I did a study on long-term disposal scenarios for high-level radioactive waste some 25 years ago. And, and at what we, how we studied it, and that's how I got into the international nuclear field to begin with, but how we studied it and, and what we came up with it is is um, quite a bit different than, than the science is right now. We've developed so much more science that now they're going back and taking a look at the waste that we have stored underground for all these years, and they're going to now go back at that waste and re-refine it and use it again as nuclear power waste, and it's going to bring it down to even smaller amounts of waste. And if we keep doing this and if our science keeps up with us, and our and our application of the science keeps up with us. We're going to end up with very little uh, waste. Well, that'll be definitely you know good for me seeing maybe give more support for that. But maybe by that time we will be uh, more nuclear fusion. Now, one of the things that is you know was stated earlier 
uh, was one thing Newt Gingrich proposed, uh, and he was actually laughed at uh, back in 2012, but there's actually other uh, countries looking into it. And that's actually, and this, this goes in line with a, a lot of what I like to see, uh, I hope the Trump administration uh, works more towards as well. And that's actually putting some sort of colony on the moon. And one of the reasons for that is to harvest, uh, and you may be familiar uh, with helium-3, and that's something that is supposed to, to my understanding, help with the containment uh, for, you know, a nuclear fusion plant. And that's one of the, you know, ways we can do that as well as using that for a launch pad of sorts uh, for Mars missions, things of that nature. But what's your thoughts on, you know, spending, because we talk about resources, a good, a, a good place to spend our money. Uh, what's your thoughts on, you know, money being spent towards those ends, you know, to explore uh, getting the helium free, creating those colonies on the moon uh, for that to work towards nuclear fusion? Uh, my first reaction to that, because I haven't really looked at any of the financial numbers of how, what it would take to do that, but my first reaction is that we have a lot lower-hanging fruit that could really help the human condition down here on Earth much more quickly than that could. That's not to say to abandon the thoughts on that. It's just that as far as prioritizing how we spend the money, we, there's a lot of things on Earth that we actually know how to fix, and we know are a problem and we know how to fix in the environmental world. Uh, a, a very simple example right now uh, um, is that the, the NEPA, the NEPA people at the uh, CEQ are touting their big successes on getting bark beetle, uh, the EIR for bark beetle infestation uh, suppression through in 14 months. Why would it take 14 months to get your regulations, to get through regulations in order to solve bark beetle attacking our forests across the United States. We, we shouldn't have to spend 14 months before we can start killing off bark beetles, I'm telling you. So, and they touted that as a big success, that it only took 14 months to get that through. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, so, so there's a lot of very, very practical things. Uh, we, attack, um, we attacked pollution very effectively by going after places where pollution was really being produced at, at, at its max. And we're not approaching global warming that way. We're, we're approaching global warming with scouter, scattershot money spent in all kinds of different directions that we just don't have the science yet to know, to get our hands around how to actually fix it. And, uh, and I think the idea of nuclear fusion um, will, will advance you know, in the future. We should have put money into it by now, a lot more money than we are. Um, but we need to get our, our arms around, you know, what we can do and what we should do and where we want to place all our energies. So, so I think that's um, there. So one thing, one thing, <laughs> well, well, Kelly, real quick, real quick, Kelly, and I will let you, I will let you continue. But we do have uh, Susan on the line who has some comments or questions, and I do want to be able to, to get her in on our, on this part of the conversation. We do have, uh, you know, a couple other topics for this evening as well. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring in Susan. Uh, thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm fine, thank you. Can you hear uh, me? Great. So, yeah, we can hear you. Uh, so what, what kind of comments or questions do you have for our guest tonight? Cheryl. Um, I just, I'm against CDT. I'm sorry. Um, I'm organic and natural and 
I don't like anything that's poisonous on my stuff or in my stuff. Sorry, but that's just how I feel. A lot of the other stuff, though, you brought up, I really like and were interested in. Um, so I'm learning some stuff. And uh, that's pretty much it right now. I've just been just kind of listening. Well, okay, you, well, you know, let me ask you, have, have you gotten involved in any, in any efforts? Uh, on what the EPA? In the EPA or any or anything that you're involved in? Oh, I call my senators and my congressmen all the time about anything and everything. And I'm a member of the John Birch Society too. Oh, so right, I think great. I'm pretty well politically savvy. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. That's what I what I like to hear. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, on DDT. I just really don't think it's good for you. And I'm well, it's sure not good that for you. It's, it, we we proved it wasn't good for you, but it's not. Um, but it's not the the. It's not as harmful to us as as we made it out to be. To tell for one thing, and then on another thing, is that boy, it's not that great for all those people living in the tropics. But it's a lot better for you than dying of malaria. Well, I I feel there's a lot of animals. And birds' eggs have been destroyed, um, and there are many natural ways to prevent stuff. It's just we've gotten away from that kind of thing. If you ever read Mike Adams, the Health Ranger, his stuff, you know he'll he'll educate you on a lot of that stuff. And um, um, I don't have you know to get into it, but GMOs, high fructose corn syrup, it's all bad for you. And you can say, well, you might have one teaspoon a week. And might have this, might have that. You know what? It all adds up until when is the final straw that breaks the camel's back. Right. It is. It is. Anytime we try to interfere with the environment in any way, there are going to be unintended consequences. We're, right. we're not very good at anticipating them. I know. No, and that, that Fukushima thing, I was. You know, the stuff was old. They knew some of the stuff was wrong, and they uh, they didn't fix it, and they didn't keep up on it, so there's lessons to be learned from that. I don't have an issue with nuclear power as much as Robert does, apparently, because I lived in Washington State, um, and I, I, I felt quite safe around, you know, all that. Uh, but... Um, I'm not saying that if you don't check on it and keep the equipment up to date, obviously there's going to be problems. And there's no excuse for carelessness on any level, whether it's uh, a worker that's kind of, you know, my son worked in the uh, oil fields in North Dakota, and he was a boss, and he was very conscientious. He didn't want to cause anyone to lose their lives or anything. And that's the problem. A lot of people are not conscientious of uh, and of keeping things up so that there isn't a problem uh, with the equipment, no matter what field that equipment is based in, whether it's oil fields or or Fukushima or or, uh, uh, nuclear or anything. I mean, if you don't keep up with that, a car, anything, it can all of a sudden have problems. My brother warned me years and years ago, never, and he was a top mechanic, never, ever buy a car made in California on a Monday and a Friday. Friday, you, you chase the history. He said, Friday, they want to get home and get to their parties and drink and get high. 
And Lindy, they're they're staggering back into work, and they don't care. They just throw, you know, you buy something the same on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So that's why they have to tell me the truth. I can imagine it. I mean, people just don't care at certain times, and and so um, I think anything can be okay as long as people are careful with it and check things and stay on top of it. But a lot of times they don't, whether it's because they've had too much or too little or too anything. Who knows? They're just careless in general. That's that's a very good point. And, and to your point, most of the uh, nuclear accidents in the world have been ultimately having an underlying basis of human error. I agree. And you don't you, so real agree. quick before I bring it Real quick, Susan, I do see it's the top of the hour. And so uh, we've got another plug here for the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Check out the Bards Logic Newsroom. We have uh, a lot of articles on there for your enjoyment there. You can also subscribe uh, to the Bards Logic Newsroom. And we've got some headlines on there, such as Ted Cruz introduces term limits amendment. Uh, we also have articles such as UN follows up settlement vote with blacklist plan for Israeli companies. And we also have uh, ones such as for fake news, totally bogus poll, falsely claims Americans oppose overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, check out some of those articles again at the Bards Logic Newsroom at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, so check that out and uh, appreciate it. And as I said, you can subscribe uh, to the newsletter. Go ahead, Susan. Uh, three Mile. Let's see, who was the president when that happened? Uh, three Mile Island with Jimmy Carter. Okay, I was I was thinking that, but I wanted to make sure. And, and he, if you see the pictures, he and a whole bunch of other people were walking and strolling through there without any protection, nothing, which makes me feel it was a phony and a fake. Because why weren't they protected when they went walking in their little suits and ties tromping through there? They should have been. Jimmy Carter was trying to demonstrate to the public that there wasn't that much to worry about. He was trying to allay people's fears by walking through there without that protection. And he really didn't get dosed. There, there wasn't that big of a threat. There was a miscalculation of the hydrogen buildup within the containment that, uh, that was done. And, um, and so it sounded like was a bigger threat than it actually was. But um well he he never was bright but, anyway, but that's yeah, okay. But his, his goal his goal uh, is ma- to reassure the public. <laughs> well my mother always said to be safe rather to be safe than sorry and I guess, you know, he wasn't safe and he wasn't sorry in the end, but uh, <laughs> he could have been. He could have well, been Well good intentions uh, don't I, always uh, pan out the way other people want them to. I mean maybe that Maybe his walking around without any protection actually lowered people's confidence in the presidency than it did raise their confidence in the <laughs> nuclear plant. <laughs> That's possible, but I didn't have much confidence in him anyway. So uh, <laughs> now I just found um, DDT breakdown in cream and kale greens and carrots and certain others. It didn't break down the way it should have. Um, Ninety-nine percent of the people tested by the CDC, uh, they found DDT in the blood. Uh, and although I don't think the CDC is the greatest 
is, you know, most government agencies aren't. But um, I do believe that, you know, and I, I can't answer you as to what's natural that would destroy mosquitoes, but I believe that when man, it's like the rats, okay, the black plague, the bubonic plague. When people, it wasn't the rats' fault. In all honesty, the rats went through, it was the people. The people were peeing and doing other stuff in the streets. The horses were, they emptied their chamber pods out in the streets. They wore long dresses that dragged in the streets. They carried the filth up into their, in their, their houses. And guess what? The kids crawled on the floor, stuck it in their mouth. And ultimately, in the end, the rats got dirty, too, because, you know, so it's usually the humans are to blame, not the mosquitoes and the rats. Because they don't say sanitary. And, Susan, I've got to bring it back to Kelly. Uh, Kelly's got a few more questions for our guest, and I uh, believe she's got to uh, go for this evening. Uh, we want to thank you very much, hey, uh, Cheryl. Well, that's okay. Cheryl. Well, enjoyed you. Thank you. Well, Welcome to yeah. this day, but let's, yeah, I just want to make sure we're, we're on good time here. Uh, let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Kelly. Thank you, Susan. And we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll keep your line. Yeah, Cheryl, Cheryl two questions, I, I suppose. Um, one is I'll start with an inter- introduction. Um, well, of course, science has really made a lot of advancements, uh, debunking some of the political media um, paranoia, if you will, of certain chemicals. Um, but I'm hearing also from you, uh, prioritize some of the constituents of concern to spend the money on, cost-benefit analysis, make the regulations more uh, flexible, um, public input. But I, do, I did want to ask you this question here. Um, it's kind of, it's, I think it's a big question. Uh, my view is the uh, business has been really hurt by excessive regulation. But here, here's a big question. How could not only business, but the environment be hurt from in, incompetent environmental regulations or overreaching regulators. How, how can business well, and the environment actually be hurt by people who aren't in the industry? Any time that you're spending money on something that you're not getting a strong result from, then you're taking money away from, from something that you could actually be solving. And so it doesn't matter in what circumstances it is, if you're not spending money efficiently in a way that really solves problems, then you're hurting the environment in other ways, and you're hurting business in other ways. I mean, there's, there's a lot of places where, where uh, business people and environmentalists can come together with the same idea. And so I was on the mining board in California. We regulated gravel pits and, and gravel production. And one of the things that the environmental the 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 miners wanted to have their minds as close to the end result as they possibly could as close to wherever buildings were being built or roads were being built because it reduced the um the trucking cost the shipping cost of the gravel to get to where it's going the environmentalists also want to have quarries and gravel pits as close to the end result because they believe in using local equipment in order to reduce the emissions coming from the transportation of that gravel to where it's going. So they they have the same goal for different reasons, and if you can get two different sides of the coins to see their commonalities, you can start addressing concerns a lot more efficiently and spending a lot less money on, on discussing it. Uh, 
an example of, of how things need to be a lot more flexible is one client I had a few years ago um, in, in the center of California. He bought a piece of property, a strip mall, that had an old dry cleaner on it that we found, a historic dry cleaner that had affected just the very top little pocket of a confined aquifer of water. And it, and it could not be used because there wasn't enough um, depth in order to create a clean well seal. So you couldn't use the water for either drinking it or agricultural purpose or anything. So we proposed to plant these trees that would do phytoremediation, they call it, where the tree's roots would suck up. their. They were called wonder plants from Africa, but the roots would get down 25 feet in one season and suck up the water with the contamination in it, and then it would end up in the, the plant foliage, and then you would cut the plant down, and it would biodegrade with the pollutants so completely dispersed that they weren't even noticeable and wouldn't even register to measure them. So that was, that's called phytoremediation, and we had you know, proposed that to use that, and the regulations just would not allow us to try something new. And the amount of money that was spent in studying what different, you know, what, what to do about it and the lawyers defending the, the guy that owned the property, we spent a quarter of a million dollars on regulations and lawyers before we turned over a teaspoon of soil to start cleaning that place up. Wow. It was criminal. To me, it was and, 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 and believe it or not, folks, that is not uncommon in certain situations. It, it's surprising. But, yeah, I want to go ahead and ask another question, Cheryl, and then uh, uh, I suppose you, you got some client work to do or what have you, but uh, um, some bullet points, okay, from you. If you are on the Environmental Quality Advisor Board, federal EPA, okay, what are some bullet points that, you would like to bring out and how how you'd like how you'd like to help well first of all let me be clear that the um, environmental quality council is a white house advisor and they control the national environmental policy act and how and the policies and and the um, initiatives that the white house wants to get done and they interact between the agencies and the Environmental Protection Agency and the legislature to get changes to the National Act or to get the regulations changed so that, so that the initiatives and policies that the president wants to put forward can, can go through more smoothly. So, you, so in that position, my, my area of expertise would be in water resources, structures, dams, levees, water supply, and also in transportation, and also in somewhat in energy. But I would be talking to all those agencies to find out how to smooth up what, they're, what they want to get done as far as infrastructure rebuilding or new construction and how to smooth the path for them so that we can get uh, their projects through without shortchanging the environment and without shortchanging the public in their ability to have input into those projects. That would be my main main goal. Well, there you go. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if if you got to go, um, you know, Robert's got other <laughs> topics. 
to if talk about. If there's other people I, that want to talk to me, I'm happy to take a few more questions. But really, I, I have a few things still waiting for me before I – I'm still at the office, so I still need to <laughs> – Oh, okay, okay. Well, let's yeah. go ahead and uh, I believe we have John on the oh, line. You need, someone uh, John. To, you need someone to make dinner for you. <laughs> make dinner for who? I'll be making dinner after the show. Oh, no, you're probably talking about her, water. right? <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> and we do, well, we, we do, well, we do have John on the, uh, on the line, I believe. John, we have you there? Merry belated Christmas and, Mer- and happy belated New Year to everybody. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate it. That's good right, to hear you back, back in the show. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm one of those people that I believe that when we were handed the earth and it was the Garden of Eden with that purity of water and plant life, and we need to re- retain it at that status level. And that's just my own personal perspective. However, you know, as anybody that's listened to this show, they know I'm a very limited government conservative and I don't mind people drilling and oil and all that but I want it to stay pure and clean all the time but I did have a question when you guys were talking about all this nuclear stuff does anybody know what happened to Yucca Mountain and all that I guess nuclear waste and it's been a number of years and I don't recall hearing any updates anytime recently in the last 10 years anyway Yucca Mountain went through, and, and like I said, they're trying to go back and look at at stored nuclear waste from decades ago and uh, recover it and recycle it and then re-refine it so that they can use it again in new processes. And uh, so I think that our ability to reduce the amount of nuclear waste we currently have is going to improve in the future. That's a... Um, the the nuclear waste issue, like all science issues, is you can't you can't call any scientific issue settled, because the whole point of science is to continue to discover new things, and so let's let's keep discovering, let's keep improving. If we keep putting money into resources that we know we have and can use, so that we make them even more efficient and even more suitable for our uses, and even cleaner and and with with a lot less waste like everyone wants, then we'll have a much better um, use of our money and and we'll have a lot better human condition and environmental condition. And uh, I think that we need to remind ourselves that the laws and regulations we have in place are meant to be environmental protection laws, not meant to be um, weapons against progress and improving the human condition to stop, pro- you know, to stop projects. And so we have to keep in mind that they're meant to be protective and and use them that way. And, that of course, awesome. nobody, nobody goes into the environmental field. Nobody that I've ever met, and I've met all stripes and kinds, but not a single person goes into the environmental field without that same thing in their heart, that they want – they want the world to be clean and our water to be clean and our air we breathe to be clean and to have as much biodiversity as we can and to do our best for the environment, to leave it as a legacy for our children. And I haven't met a single person in the field who doesn't have that in their heart. Yeah, I was just from coming from the standpoint that though I believe it's – it's in our best interest to continue to 
explore and try to figure out big, better ways to do things, we have to be very conscious and careful of unintended consequences. So I kind of fall in line with what Susan was saying. And you wonder when we hear the word protection, who are they trying to protect? The people that's getting money exchangers because they can make money off of it? Or are they really trying to uh, be protective of making sure that we don't poison our life source? Well, that is exactly why I would like to see Cheryl by Chester on the Environmental Quality Council because she can bring the science, the common sense, the get it done attitude that's needed because we only have so many financial resources and we have to pick the top priorities um, back up with science, cost benefit, et cetera, et cetera. So I, that's why I'm, I'm so glad that she's on the show. So I guess, Cheryl, if you, if you got stuff to do, that might be a good um, exit point unless you want to say something else. No, thank, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk tonight. I hope you will so, come back sometime. Keep, uh, keep us updated on how things go. I want to wish you uh, the best of luck, and hopefully we'll hear from you again uh, this uh, next time uh, with you having an appointment on that board. Yeah, th- thank you very much, Robert. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're very you're welcome. Uh, and thank it. you. All yeah, right, thanks, great. Joe. Thank you very much. Right, yeah, take care. Don't, don't hesitate. Have a happy New take Year. Care. <laughs> Definitely so, happy New Year. We'll talk in for the years out. Hey, uh, so a political promo, if you will. Charles Blychester for the Environmental Quality Council advising the EPA, federal EPA. That's my, my political plug for her. Well, thank you very much, Kelly. And, uh, yeah, can you post it? And hopefully we can, uh, you know, get get these uh, clips and things together so we can uh, get it sent to the right people. And perhaps uh, we'll be talking to her next time. Uh, with an appointment, and we'll we'll see where we go there. Now, of course, everyone's probably heard by now that something we've talked a little bit about during the election is, of course, one of our favorite so-called conservative commentators on Fox News, and that is Megyn Kelly. And, of course, you probably heard the news by now that she is leaving uh, Fox News uh, in order to go to NBC. I'm sorry? She's your favorite? Are you joking? I'm being sarcastic. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was being sarcastic. Yeah, I guess. Well, see, with my voice being gone almost for the past month now, that's another reason why we didn't do a couple shows, because I had no voice, um, <clears throat> literally. Uh, and so... You know that the, maybe the the it, it wasn't came out intended to sound like the way it should have, but yes, that was definitely uh, sarcasm uh, that you heard. <laughs> but yes, I mean now I personally thought, now I personally thought that she would go to um, to CNN, but they probably maybe they wouldn't have her. But uh, now she's going to go to NBC, you know, get her own show, maybe even on CNBC. Uh, we'll see. Yes, I meant that pun. Uh, but, I mean, her going from Fox News to a left-wing, left-leaning organization, who's that surprised? It's not surprising. It's not surprising. No. No, and no, I wish I had, I had a, a cricket playing thing. i got to get that on here. Um, 
yeah, no one's surprising and uh, that, that she's leaving. And so, you know, I've got a couple articles here. Um, you know, I, I had, there was two, and these are from Newsmax. Um, let me see if I can find the first one um, here, and I've got two. Uh, and the first one's uh, Megan Kelly. Uh, these are new, Newsmax.com. Uh, first one says, Megan Kelly leaving for um, for NBC. Uh, says, Megan Kelly is leaving. And, and we, we kind of seen this common sense. I mean, or I think we really did. And, you know, definitely, you know, if there's any comments here, um, Rob, and we'll go through that because sometimes that can be fun. Yes? Um, who was that gentleman number, uh, I don't know how many weeks back, David, I think was his name. Didn't he say that you watched shortly after the election or thereabouts that um, Fox is going to let Megan Kelly go or she's going to leave? Who was that guy? Do you remember? Uh, was it David? You said. Yeah, that's probably. Uh, yeah, that's probably. I don't. I don't know if that's the correct name, but that's what's popping in my head. But I remember him it, saying that, and I thought. Yeah, it may have later been David. Yeah, he's one of our uh, listeners, callers here. Yeah, but she. I thought he was going to be on tonight. Uh, I did chat with him, uh, but I thought maybe he'd be on. But uh, perhaps something uh, came up. Uh, where he was at. But, yeah, it sounds like he, he may have, and, and, and that's not surprising. Now, there was, you know, we'll get to that uh, heat seeker. Uh, thank you for leaving that uh, comment in the chat. Uh, so heat seeker says she was probably uh, just offered more money, too, which uh, we'll get to that in the next article. Uh, but first it says, uh, Maggie Kelly leaving for Fox News uh, for NBC. Her new network confirms Tuesday. Uh, Megyn Kelly, and this is a quote from them, uh, Megyn Kelly, one of America's most prominent news anchors, will join NBC News and announced today by Andrew Lack, chairman of the NBC Universal News Group. NBC said in a statement, Kelly will become anchor of one of a new one-hour daytime program that she will develop closely with NBC new colleagues. The show will air Monday through Friday at a time to be announced in the coming months. It says as part of the multi-year agreement, Kelly will also anchor a new Sunday evening news magazine show and will become an important contributor to the NBC's news breakdown, uh, news breaking news coverage, as well as the network's political and special events coverage. Um, let's see, blah, blah, blah. And I guess this is a, a statement from her. It says, over a dozen years, uh, Kelly took to Twitter uh, later Tuesday afternoon to reflect on her move. And this is, I guess, from... <clears throat> Megan Kelly. Uh, it says, over a dozen years, I started at Fox News and a job that would change my life. Now I have decided to end my time at Fox News Channel, incredibly enriched for the experiences I've had. I have agreed to join NBC News, where I'll be launching a new daytime show Monday through Friday, along with a Sunday evening news uh, magazine program. A lot of blah, blah, blah. Just what she's got to say. Um, um, <clears throat> now, this says, I remain deeply grateful to Fox News to Rupert, Latchlin, and James Murdoch, and especially to viewers, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? But anyway, as you can tell, I'm not a big Megan Kelly fan. But here, of course, is more telling uh, than all. And what I like to have here is I love reading the comment sections uh, from these articles. And I'm not going to say the people's names, but this is just some of them. Uh, now, this one was posted 14 hours ago. And you can find the names and stuff by going to newsmax.com. But anyway, um, 
says, who watches NBC? Now it was about 14 hours ago. And then there's somebody, Megan will fit right in with MSM, I guess mainstream media. She can spin her lip views to all who love her. We stopped watching her months ago. Surely her ratings were failing anyway. She would not fit in with the news involving a conservative president at Fox. She showed her colors when she attacked Trump at the first debate. She was unfair and blindsided him uh, deliberately. So uh, let's see. And then the next one says, just watch, just watch how liberal she'll become. I know, I know. She has always been just another big-time narcissist live. I'm talking magnitude here. Once she's with NBC, I can only imagine how difficult it is to work with someone like Kelly. My bet is Fox just can't wait to see her leave. That would be my guess. Just a thought. Can you imagine how much of a wuss her husband has to be? My guess is you'll hear a lot of yes, dear, no, dear, and anything you want, dear, from him. <laughs> this is hilarious. Yes, just another metro central kind of guy. Just one more thing. At least NBC, NBC now has their eye candy. Uh, Kelly can be classified as such. Mad Al, well, she's no eye candy. She's just, well, Mad Al. <laughs> this is hilarious. Can you imagine getting both of them on the same broadcast at the same time? Can you say political cat fight? Now, for that, I might be swayed to tune in to NBC. So that's hilarious on that. And we've got, we've got some more uh, comments. Uh, but let's go ahead and hear from you guys, and then maybe we'll go back to those. Those are just so funny to hear. Um, and uh, each of you, if you'd like to chime in or anyone else out there we see, uh, give us a call at 347-945-7428, and I will get you into the show. Uh, but you'll need to do that within the next 34 minutes, or you won't be able to attend uh, the last hour, uh, which is the extended period of what we sometimes lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark. It's a lot of fun, uh, so give us a call at 347-945-7428. And since it's almost the bottom of the hour, we'll give our next plug. Uh, you can also find Bard's Logic on Facebook uh, by just doing, going to the search engine and put in Bard's Logic uh, Political Talk, and you can see the page, as well as the not often used, but I like to maybe do more with it uh, for folks uh, to get content that you, uh, the grassroots, want to hear uh, by joining uh, the Bard's Logic Little Talk Facebook group. And so we're going to enhance that more. And, well, uh, here on Blog Talk Radio, you can follow the show by pushing the little follow button there that you have where uh, you can get emails uh, as reminders about the upcoming shows. Uh, so push follow if you're not already following the show. Then, of course, as I stated earlier, you can subscribe to the Bard's Logic Newsroom uh, to get the articles from there by going to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Go to the Bards Logic newsroom, and you can subscribe from there. If you have any uh, issues or comments or questions, concerns, you can contact me, the host, uh, by going to the contact page there on the website uh, where you can send me a message, and I definitely welcome that. So let's go ahead and bring it back uh, to our folks here on, on that article, maybe some of the comments. The last one was hilarious. But let's go ahead and bring in uh, you first, Susan, and then we'll do uh, you, Kelly, and then John, and then uh, maybe we'll move back uh, to some more of the comments. Article is perhaps the reasonings behind her leaving, including what Heat Seeker brought up uh, about uh, the money issue. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but he's, uh, Heat Seeker asks, 
I don't know if Megan is as bad as those creeps on MSNBC. What do you think? Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see about that heat seeker. As the the last person we commented on <clears throat> said, you know, she may, you know, show more of a of her liberal bent while she's there amongst friends. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, I'll watch it, of course, because I will have to watch it at times just so I can make commentary on it. Because one of my things <clears throat> I was planning on doing this year was to expose uh, her liberalism, but it looks like that she's going to do that all on her own uh, this year. So cause one of my goals was, was to kind of do that expose on her, uh, but it looks like she's going to do it herself on NBC, and she'll save me the trouble. But I'll, just for fun commentary, uh, we'll probably you know follow that and talk a little bit more about it uh, in shows to come. So let's go ahead and bring it to you, Susan. What are your thoughts on that? On uh, Megan? Yeah, we're, uh, we're, this is our segment on on Megan Kelly, Megan Kelly leaving Fox News. Well, maybe they'll get smart and hire Michael Savage and do that twist. Oh yeah. It. Well, they're they're probably going to actually <laughs> uh, in the next article we'll see who some of the possible replacements are. It looks like they want to put another female uh, in her place. Uh, is what it sounds like uh, so far. Is it? Is this because they want to have a quota of so many females and so many males, or what? I they, they didn't state that, but that, that could be one of the reasons. You know who I would love to see come back into the scene, but we won't because she's done with politics, is Condoleezza Rice. But anyway, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, it's, uh, I, I, I love Michael Savage. I don't always agree with him, but I do love him. He's very blunt. He's to the point. He'll tell you what, how it is and how he thinks and how he feels. And that's why I'd love to see him on there. He says Fox would never hire him just because he's too truthful and too to the point, I, I fear. Um, but um, by the way, speaking of, have you called Lindsey Graham and um, John McCain? Have I called them? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah we talk all the time. Uh, Susan. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, do you know what those two are doing right now? They hang up on me. Go ahead. You know what they're doing right now? I'll be honest. I haven't paid much attention to those two. Uh, well, maybe you should, because they're traveling over to the country of Georgia and all those little satellite or little countries around there and trying to stir up trouble for Putin. They are saying that we're um, his hacking was an act of war and blah, 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 and trying to drag all those little countries into the Oh, yeah, they're him. in bed with Obama, it sounds like. And, furthermore, this little trip, I'm absolutely positive they are not using their dime to travel on over there to all these places. I'll bet you they're using the taxpayers' money. Oh, certainly they are. Oh, yeah, and the protection. And we're going to talk about that later. I was talking to Cindy Todd uh, tonight, and she said that Obama's got himself a, a, a mansion somewhere, and uh, so someone wants to look that up and then and, and bring us an article on that. So uh, I heard he's got a mansion somewhere close to the United Emirates or Arab United – gosh, I'm having a hard time tonight. Uh, United Arab Emirates. There we go. I got that one out. All those gals. Right. Yeah. Uh 
there. And 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 here's the thing: he's gonna be over in the Middle East with a mansion by the United Arab Arab uh, Emirates, and we're gonna have to pay for his protection. Forget it. I say we'll pay for his protection while he's within the United States. But if Obama wants to live in the Middle East, he's on his own. But anyway, we're, that's in the next segment. Go ahead. Um, okay. I, I just wanted to say I did call him, and I think I had a 10-minute diatribe with staffers and uh, told them what I thought and told them they were idiots. So <laughs> yeah, I expect you to call them <laughs> now. Well, let's go ahead and uh, – but, but, but what, what about this whole Megyn Kelly thing? We talked about her. You know, you know, here and there, uh, you know, during the during the campaign. I don't even know if I've, I'm, I'm you know, and, and then some of the things she said about, you know, her little battle uh, the one time with Newt Gingrich, and I think he blew her out of the water, but no pun intended. And we're not even a Bard's Logic after dark anymore, so I have to watch my comments. Uh, so, uh, edit that out, Kelly. No, but anyway, uh, so, so what do you think? I mean, is this something you've seen coming as well? I saw her. I thought CNN and, myself. But. Oh well, I just I couldn't imagine anyone wanting her, truthfully. But then we Fox hired Juan, whatever his name is, which was stupid. Juan Williams. So yeah, they can kick him out next. I'd be happy. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think I think he, he uh, contributes a number of things, and plus, you know, he he's a liberal, but he's not an ultra left. You know what I mean? He's kind of like them having uh, yeah, who's that, who's that one guy? Oh my gosh, I can't remember his name. Real famous, got the mustache, glasses. They'll never get rid of him either. He's a big name, but not big enough for me to remember. No, I'm just kidding. But he's still no, he's a big name, and I can't remember the guy's name right now. Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, they'll always have him oh, still. Oh yeah, Foxwell. Because he's a liberal, yeah, but he's not an ultra liberal. Still. So anyway, that's well, my, uh, your take on that. Well, and, like and, and we'll get to some more of those like comments. Cause... Like oh no, I mean, I, I mean, I think she really showed her true colors. That that this election. I mean, she's obviously been with Fox News way before, you know, for this. But I mean, boy, she really just came out. You know, I think she showed, showed her true colors this this uh, this time around. I think she felt comfortable that she was able to do that. Uh, I, I think she got more uh, backlash than she thought she was going to. Uh, but we'll, um, you know, we'll we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. So, what's your thoughts, Kelly? Maybe, maybe on NBC, maybe she can dress, you know, with a lower cut dress and whatever. Well, she seems well. Let, let me put this little disclaimer in. And I'm not I'm not really one for blondes to be honest. I'm I'll be honest, I'm not a blonde guy. Well, I'm not blonde your brown hair, but anyway, I never really had a big thing for blondes. But I tell you what, I, I have to admit this. Megan Kelly is not difficult to look at. Okay. She's not and if she wants to wear a low cut dress, I don't have a problem with that. But anyway, but don't be hypocritical about it. That's the problem I have. Is don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> Especially after she tried to blast Trump about what he said on that bus. In her interview that she had with, um, uh, man, I'm doing terrible tonight. Uh, oh, my gosh. But anyway, some talk show that she was talking about her husband's penis on it. But anyway, um, 
Oh, you did, yeah, there was an, yeah, there was an interview where, through my understanding, she you know she's made some mention uh, about her husband's uh, salami. But anyway, um, <laughs> we won't. We were not in Bard's Logic after dark hits. We can't. We can't be bringing that stuff up. But anyway, <laughs> Kelly, we better bring it over to you before we get ourselves in trouble. But there's a lot of times you get us in trouble too. So, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's safe. <laughs> well. Uh, well, um, and then you, John, talk. go ahead. Can you hear me? Is it John? Or yeah, John I can or hear me? you. Uh, oh, go ahead, Kelly, and then we'll, we'll get John. Oh, okay. You, so you Kelly. Fox News, yeah, Fox News um, brought on Juan Williams after, um, I think it was PBS or somebody on the left fired him, so they brought on Juan Williams. Now, yeah, he was on, um, he was on, uh, wait, it wasn't PBS. And, it was NPR. Um, okay, yeah, well, that was real interesting. And now <clears throat> Megan is going somewhere else. Maybe she got a higher offer. I mean, I have a lot of admiration for Megan Kelly in the sense of what, you know, she was an attorney, worked in a law firm, um, changed her life, got on the news, worked her way up the chain of command. Uh, you know, pretty good communicator, but... You know, I just, I don't think she was fair with Trump. That was just, you know, and maybe uh, what was happening was from the backlash, her, her ratings were going down so bad that um, basically, oh, yeah. uh, you know, Fox said, uh, you can't, you're hurting us bad. I did notice as Megyn Kelly was going out the door, she kept promoting her book, uh, Settle for More. And like every freaking show was a promo of her book, promo of her book. And even the guest uh, host that took over for her when she was on vacation or wherever she was, they would promo her book. And I'm like, I wonder if she knew she was going out the door that she really spent way too. I've never seen, uh, maybe Bill O'Reilly does a little bit, but not as much as Megyn Kelly did on the promotion of her book. I mean, geez. So maybe maybe she well, knew this was coming. Um, all sorts well, of factors it, involved. Well, I mean, what I've got here, this guy, um, you know, he put, looks like NBC didn't get the memo. Uh, Misk, and I, I don't have the numbers on this. I'm just totally just reading this. Maybe someone's got some not other things. But so it looks like NBC didn't get the memo. And Miss Kelly's book was a bust, as was her Fox News special last summer. The only reason her nightly broadcast did well was because Fox bracketed her show uh, with O'Reilly and Hannity. Just one more money-losing move by NBC. When would they ever learn? Maybe they should hire Ailes to bail them out. <laughs> well, anyway, if, if NBC if NBC is going to appeal to the hate Trumpers, okay, and there's a bunch of them, the hate Trumpers because yeah. they've heard all this, he's a racist bigot, da 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 da. Okay, whatever. If, if right. uh, she she really rides that train hard, NBC's ratings could go up because it's a, it's the audience that she might be more appropriate. Uh, too. So that could be an interesting um, outcome, I guess. I, I, I yield. Go ahead and let John talk, I guess. Now, here's another thing. Here's another take. And let's get your your thoughts on this, John. Because here's another comment. And, you know, and this may even go towards uh, what uh, you were saying as well, uh, Heat Seeker. And definitely we'd like to hear you if, you, if you're not uh, – Radio Shy, give us a call at 347-945-7428. Push the one on your number dial, and we'll get you into the show. 
That's 347-945-7428. Uh, we'll get you in. Um, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, but anyway, so here's one of these, and we'll, we'll bring this over to you, John. What's your thoughts? Because I, I think there's maybe some validity in this. And it says, the corrupt establishment elite take care of those that do their dirty deeds. She was the hit woman who was supposed to take out Trump early in the elections with her innuendos about Trump treating women badly. She was unsuccessful but is getting rewarded with more than $15 million a year. Imagine that much money for what she does. It is payola for trashing Trump. I'll never watch her again. She is finished. Uh, what do you, what, what's your thoughts on that, uh, John? Do you think there's some validity in that statement? I really don't have any idea whether there's any validity in that statement. It's possible. It wouldn't definitely tilt towards the fact that it's probably more true than not, just because, in my humble opinion, all of these networks are for pay-to-play kind of manipulation. All of them are propagandists, even the major national networks. Nobody is unbiased or, you know, true to journalistic uh, integrity anymore. But as far as her and, you know, seeing, I, I wouldn't aware that she was even going to leave till the, uh, like I mentioned earlier, that gentleman that m- mentioned it on your show a number of weeks ago, whatever his name was, that popped, that was the first time I ever even thought about it. And that did kind of make me start wondering at that point, but it didn't really stay with me long. I moved on to other stuff, but I always appreciated her skill and talent. But my problem was, is if she's going to question Trump on those kind of issues, well, dig up the same kind of dirt on every other candidate. Don't just throw it all at Trump. That's That was my problem. I had no problem with her digging at Trump on those issues because those are issues that we need to know about and to get answers to in order to make a well-informed decision about who's going to be our president. So I was more mad at the rest of the networks that they weren't actually being more aggressive in finding out the backgrounds and different aspects of all these candidates so we could make better, well-informed decisions. But with her, I even called Fox and them and let them know I was pretty hacked off that she was targeting Trump and not asking the same type of questions for all the other candidates. You know, if you're going to dish it out, you're going to need to dish it out to all of them equally so we can get it, you know, the whole idea is to find out who's the best candidate. Now, I don't care for her as far as, like you were saying, as far as her being a host of her show, just because she seemed to always be heavy on certain people for certain things and light on other things. And it may just be my own personal bias, so take that with a grain of salt. I may look in the mirror and not truly see my own biases sometimes, so, you know, please forgive me if, if I have my own personal biases. But I wish her the best and wherever she goes, and I'm glad to see her gone, but I don't care what network she's on. I'm going to watch them all just to find out who all my enemies are because all of them are, in my opinion, backed by the corporations that want to rule the the globe by corporate governance. Every one of them is the same way. We're not getting anything different in that regard. Back to you, Robert. Okay, well, I appreciate it. Uh, looks like uh, uh, NSA Bob has gotten to, to my computer because I'm not able to pull up anything right now. It's telling me that uh, a web page is slowing down your browser. 
I'm like, oh, I like to know which web page is doing it. Maybe I should go ahead and just uh, uh, stop that. Maybe I found it. Um, but anyway, so I was going to go on with my next article uh, here, uh, but I'm not. Uh, I'm just going to stop it. See what see what this says. Um, but through my understanding, is you know, what the next article is talking about is. Oh, look at that. Maybe that's the one that did it. Is how you know it's blaming that. Uh, her move to NBC had um, was due to uh, things with with Trump, uh, Ailes, and O'Reilly. So let's go ahead and I guess I found the article that was messing up my my browser. So uh, and I guess me pointing out that NSA Bob was we pointed out that he was doing his shenanigans again. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, bring back to that. And if the chat crashed, uh, hopefully people are still in there <clears throat> as well. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring it back to um, here. It says, Megan Kelly's long jump. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. This, again, is on Newsmax.com. And you can also see Newsmax TV on the Bars Logic Political Talks uh, website where you have uh, Newsmax TV Live. Uh, you can watch that from uh, the website as well by going to www.BardsLogicPoliticalTalks.com and check out the Newsmax uh, page. And uh, whoever texts me, if you're on the line here, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but first, uh, let's go ahead. We've got here, it says, uh, Megan Kelly's long jump from Fox News to NBC was reportedly fueled by unhappiness over the long-running feud with Donald Trump, ex-CEO Roger Ailes, sexual harassment scandal, and strained relations with boss Rupert Murdoch. New York Magazine Writer Gabriel Sherman cited unnamed sources reported that Kelly file hosts relationship with Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity in particular had completely broken down. Bill hated her, one unnamed Fox host told Sherman. According to Sherman, Murdoch balked when Kelly asked for $25 million to stay at Fox and con- <clears throat> in a at Fox and contract talk that dragged on through Kelly's much publicized book tour. Sherman noted, however, a source close to Kelly said the popular star never asked for a specific dollar amount, and it was Fox that had offered $25 million. Speculation of Fox News now swirls around who will replace the host with the consensus believing Murdoch will tap a woman to fill the 9 p.m. slot, and leading contenders including Trish Reagan, Shannon Bream, Sandra Smith, and Martha McCallum, Sherman reported. Kimberly Guilfoyle is lobbying for the job, Sherman reported. The one thing Fox insiders are in agreement is that uh, agreement is on that whoever replaces Kelly will be pro-Trump conservative, Sherman wrote. Murdoch's relationship with Trump has greatly improved since the depths of Trump's battle with Kelly last year. According to one guest at Mar-a-Lago over the holidays, Trump declared, I really like Rupert Murdoch, Sherman reported. Roger Ailes was a friend of mine, but Fox's coverage is so much better since he left. It's hilarious. So there's some comments uh, 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 with with here. Now, this was only three hours ago. This is an earlier uh, article. It says, what made her go liberal? Is that, uh, is what I, okay, let me start all over again. Sorry. It says, what made her go liberal is what I would like to know. Uh, how do you go from a truthful station, one that's full of crap and lies? Personally, I think she's a spoiled brat, so full of herself that you can't take criticism of any kind. 
the crap she threw at Trump was about as necessary as unnecessary as it gets in her own little show. A tasteful question would have been so much more mature and helpful to everyone. So that's that. And so, oh, welcome, Cog. Uh, appreciate the show. Uh, see that you're in the chat. But if you want to join us at the top of the hour, uh, which is in about 13 minutes, you'll need to call us at 347-945-7428, or you're going to miss the extended period of what we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark. Uh, so give us a call at 347-945-7428. You'll need to do that within the next 11 minutes or you'll miss it. And But we are close to the top of the hour, and so let's go ahead and, again, here, uh, just in case uh, you missed it, whether you're uh, listening in live uh, and just came in or you're listening uh, to the podcast, which you can download for free on iTunes. So definitely check that out. If you do have a mobile device, you can download uh, all the shows on your mobile device from iTunes. Uh, so let's hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And again, folks, you only have about, uh, that's right, call uh, 347-945-7428. Uh, if you'd like to uh, get in the show, uh, just give that a call, and we will uh, get you into the show if you push the one on your number dial or – if you just want to listen to it, uh, that is good as well. Uh, so thank you very much uh, for doing that. And, again, let's go ahead and bring things back uh, uh, to you, uh, to you, Susan, and then we'll bring uh, you and Kelly uh, to make uh, maybe some comments on that. Uh, perhaps it, do you think that's why she left, or you think, you know, it might maybe something else? Uh, have you heard anything about her book sales? Because, frankly, I haven't been following her enough to find out whether it's really been a flop or not. So, so have you heard anything? What, what do you think, uh, Susan? No, I hadn't. I just asked to vote. Somebody sent me an email asked to vote on her replacement, you know, with some names and vote on it or something. Other than that, no, I – but I haven't gone through all my emails to see if <clears throat> anything has been said. Maybe they don't want to talk about her. I certainly don't. I think she's uh, – I know you. You think she's easy on the eyes, but you know that's not the point. I mean, you're, you can. Well, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> and you know, does, does brains count at all? <laughs> okay, come not on. Not really. No, I'm just kidding. Of course they do. She uh, obviously she didn't uh, care. I mean, she just. I never seen anything like it. Like her, I, I don't know. She may have been put in there on purpose to. Do things later, or maybe she was paid enough money to uh, be a turncoat. I mean, that's happened. It's not like it's anything new. So, I don't know. I mean, 
she didn't exactly wasn't kind to any of this. Um, maybe I don't remember right, but I didn't think she was exactly favorable to Rand Paul either. You know, she was she just was nasty to everyone. I felt. Well, she definitely was a Romney, nasty. you know, a Romney backer too. She was certainly at least backer. establishment, in my opinion. I think she was yeah, at least establishment. Oh, I know. Yes, I suppose if you wanted to put it that way, yeah. She would be, but no, I have not seen anything. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Because you'd think I would have seen something all these emails that I get. So I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I probably, yeah. Well, I was just said it, it, it flopped. I mean, it's all through minors. Well, here's the thing: they promoted the heck out of it, you know, especially herself, of course. But you know what? She, she. I'm telling you, the people who would have bought her book are Trump supporters. And since she did what she did with Trump, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not the brightest bulb in the pack, huh? Mm-hmm. We're almost done with uh with with this topic. We're just moving on to our next segment where we're going to talking about Obama's Islamic sympathies, and of course, what we're referring to is what he recently has, uh, you know, did by abstaining uh, from the Security Council vote on Israel. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and we're going to talk about that briefly. But let's go ahead and get some uh, co- final comments on this, maybe some comments from uh, the article uh, from you, Kelly, and I know Kelly's got a, a report for us as well, and then uh, you, John. But let's go ahead and, and, of course, we're going to keep the lines open. And uh hope folks will join us to at least listen to uh, Bard's Logic After Dark uh, by giving us a call, 347-945-7428. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to you, Kelly. Well, in a little bit, I want to talk about the circus that's going to happen on Friday, trying to stop the Electoral College votes. But before I do, but I want I to make I thought that was already taken care of. No, I'll, I'll tell thought, you about it. I thought that was like, done, just the 20th of well, December. No, no, it's, 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 Congress has to count it. But I want to comment about Megyn Kelly just as a funny. Um, I had a, a buddy friend, and he mentioned that a lot of the women on Fox just are very voluptuous and such, and they low, you know, they have the nice little V cut. And a, a lady friend who's on, on, kind of on the left, she doesn't like how, you know, they're using uh, boobs to promote the news. Well, you know, Megan Kelly should maybe get on the front cover of a magazine. I'm trying to remember the ladies' magazine, a Cosmopol, Cos, Cosmopolis. No, Cosmopolis. Cause my boobs weigh a ton. Yes. That's the name of the magazine, because my boobs weigh Oh, wow. Okay. But well, they're not that big. But anyway, we're not in Bard's Logic After Dark. You know, I should have done the Megyn Kelly segment in the Bard's Logic After Dark uh, part, because then we really could be just throwing out the innuendos. Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. So on Friday, Congress is going to be counting the sealed electoral college votes from all the states. They start in alphabetical order. Um, both houses of Congress in joint session, uh, the Senate and the House of Representatives sit, and they listen in on the vote count, and they have tellers who will announce the vote. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we will have hand-counted paper ballots at least once in this election. Um, anyway, but and they start alphabetical, Alabama, Arkansas, etc. Well, if somebody raises an objection, then this is where the circus can start. And 
when somebody raises an objection, they have to have a signature from at least one senator and one uh, congressman from the House of Reps. Okay, so you get two signatures, you can raise an objection. Guess what happens next? Both houses have to separate and discuss the issue, and they can vote to approve the objection and make changes like dismiss electoral college votes or even a whole state's votes, um, or they can um, deny the objection. And if, if only one of the two houses denies the objection, then, it, then they get back together again and they start counting. Well, how much time do they have when they have their separate meetings? They have two hours to make a decision. Each speaker gets five minutes, and um, they got to choose to accept or reject votes. And right now, there's a Democrat senator and a Democrat congressman who have submitted the paperwork and signed it so that they can raise an objection to the Electoral College vote. And they can do it state by state. They can do this at all 50 states. We're going to see a circus on on, on Friday. And I think it starts at 1 o'clock Eastern time. So C-SPAN, if you're watching, watch for the zoo. There are um, a number of people on the left who are trying to stop the certification. And I've I've, um, read a document written by an attorney, well done, about the whole electoral college process and how Congress counts the votes. It's very fascinating. And some years it's like they're done in an hour or two. It's over. Not even that. And some years it can be contested through objections. I mean, this this could turn into a 12-hour event. And um, But there are some people that are so hateful of Trump, they're trying everything to stop the certification. But you can't because the constitutional process is pretty pretty tight. But even if Trump loses enough delegates, then it goes to the House of representatives for a vote each state gets a vote South Dakota has one vote California has one vote Trump will still win but there are people trying it's it's going to be a circus on Friday mm, well I'm do you know C-SPAN has an app maybe I could do it while I'm kind of glancing at it while I'm working <laughs> yeah but could you imagine I wonder if C-SPAN has an app that I can watch that live that would be great well, it bore my daughter to death, but that's a new story. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how many times they object because bored asleep. You, you can object in front, right before every state comes forward. But you better have some serious evidence. Um, but they're going to try. So we do have uh, the top of the hour, and so uh, your audio is going to cut out, uh, and you will not be able to enjoy our Bard's Logic After Dark. Or as you've heard, we lovingly call, well, that just said that, never mind. But you know what I mean, the extended period. Or we lovingly call it Bard's Logic After Dark, but officially it is the extended period of the show. If you don't call in the next minute, you'll miss it. And we don't want you to do that. So give us a call at 347-945-7428. But you won't, all is not lost. You won't lose it completely because you'll actually be able to hear it on the podcast if you're not able to join us tonight. But if you'd like to, give us a call at 347-945-7428, and you'll be able to do that. And next week, uh, we'll be uh, welcoming Randy Stufflebean, who was the national vice chairman of the Constitution Party. Uh, he's also running now, and we'll have him to discuss this on the show, for governor, I believe, of Illinois. 
And so we will be, <coughs> excuse me, that's not up on me. And the more I talk, the more I'm losing my voice. But anyway, uh, we will be having him on uh, next week uh, to discuss that. And we're also going to have some uh, other guests, of course, as the year goes on uh, that I'm currently working on. But we'll have him on next week. So give us a call if you want to join us. But let's go ahead and bring it back to you, John. Uh, and then to finish off our conversation about Megan Kelly and her move to NBC. And then uh, I may read a couple more comments, but if not, uh, we are going to move to our next segment uh, where we are going to discuss Obama's Islamic sympathies. Go ahead, John. Well, I mean, all i got to say for Megan Kelly is, uh, what's your next subject? Our next our next subject is Obama's Islamic sympathies, as illustrated by his recent actions involving the UN resolution. Move on to that. Let's move on to that. So, here we, uh, let's get. We'll start with you, Susan. Uh, have you been following uh, that with Resolution uh, 2334? Have you been following uh, following that? Which, which one was that? He's had, there's been so much stuff. I don't know if I'm coming or going sometimes. <clears throat> well, that is the, uh, the the UN resolution stating that the you know this is includes. Uh, Basically, it's saying that the settlements are ill, or they're breaking international law oh, oh, uh, by oh, yeah, stuff. the occupying right, mm-hmm. occupying okay. those territories well, uh, is, is 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 breaking international law. Uh, here's my thoughts on it. We should keep the darn nose out of it. I stand with Ron Paul. We had no business settling in the Middle East, none at all. We should never have been there to begin with, thanks to Carter and. Kissinger and a lot of people even before them. We are there. We're there. And if we kept our nose out of it, they'd either fight and it'd be, you know, uh, you can't imagine how much I feel like we should not be there. We have so many problems in our own country. We should be taking care of that instead of caring what Israel does and caring what this one does and that one does and any of them do. We waste our money and our time. This is why they're, uh, we're always trying to start a war. We're always in wars, wasting our money, having our people, young people killed to join the military. Please, I, you know, I just think that it should be done and over with. Get out of the U.N., get the U.N. out of us, and that would solve it. You know, there's people hopping on board not wanting the U.N. here anymore, all for the wrong reason, just because of Israel. They should have said that a long time ago. We should never have been there. They should never have been here. The John Birch Society has pushed this for years and years and everybody laughed and scoffed as and ignored it and yet oh all of a sudden the bandwagon is popular wow you know it's all we need to do is get rid of them get gone gone we save money we are not meddling in anything everybody can fight it out amongst themselves and i'll be happy yeah but don't you think we need to have allies in the middle east and we need we should uh, support and protect our allies? Gee, we had the Shah of Iran. What did we do to him? Uh, so what did we actually do to our allies? Assad is a good one if you well, want but, to have an ally. Well, what, if, what about democracies in the Middle East? I mean, I mean, Israel is one of the very few, if not, 
you know, of, of democracy there. So should we not uh, have a, you know, have an al- have an ally there? <clears throat> and are we going against right, uh, what you know the, the 1967 borders? Uh, we, I, I just don't think we should have had anything to say about it to begin with. If Israel wants to blow everyone out of the water, if they want to blow Israel out of the water, let everybody blow everybody. They've been fighting for centuries. Come on, Robert, you know that from Bible times on, historically. Everybody's been fighting with everybody. So, you know, let them continue. Eventually they'll get tired of it. I mean, they, they, at some point they have to get tired of it, I would hope. But they don't seem to. So, no, I don't. Hey, we can have allies as far as being friends and buying, you know, whatever, buying stuff, shaking hands, whatever. But I still believe what George Washington said, no alliances that are permanent. You, you can't do that because things change. And when we put ourselves in that position, we are making a mockery of our own country. First of all, we're not even a good example to Israel or Assad or Iraq or anybody. We're not a good example. We look at the problems we have in our own country, Black Lives Matter, this, that, the other thing. Uh, who who has the right in our country to say one darn thing to those countries when we are so bad and so nasty ourselves inside this country with our problems, the illegals and all that stuff? We don't have any rights. We, don't have, we should keep our mouth shut and do, be a good example, but we're not. We're a poor example. So that's how I feel about it. Sorry. And what's your, what's your take on that, John? Are you skipping Kelly? <clears throat> well, just you know, switch switch things around a little bit. Excuse <clears throat> me. Kelly, is it okay to defer to me since you were next? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I've got uh, some stuff in my hands that I work. Go ahead. Okay. Just wanted to take care of my brother there, you know, because he he's my ally, and I want to make sure <laughs> that I'm looking out for his best interest. See, because I think that. My issue is, I mean, I kind of split with what Susan was saying because I'm with you, Robert, in the sense that we do need allies over there. But at the same time, I feel like we have to be super careful. And I don't know all the details, and I'm not sure that I'm informed even well enough to truly comment on this in an effective manner. But based on my limited understanding of things, I don't believe in dictatorships or totalitarianism or monarchies and all those other kind of governments. I believe in republics, and whether that republic be a quasi-democracy like ours is, you know, a quasi-democracy in the sense that we are a uh, republic based on the election of, you know, we the people are governing our republic but we have representatives, and it's based on a constitution. So in that sense, I'm all about we the people. You know, you've heard me say a lot of times mutual assent. We've got to learn to work together and have a mutuality of agreement on all these issues. Otherwise, we just end up with anarchy, because if you don't have mutual assent with everybody having an opportunity to decide for themselves what encumbers them and burdens them, then somebody is being the bully. Somebody is being the dictator even if it's an oligarchy group of people. And that means that the other people that aren't getting the same privileges, benefits, and immunities of deciding for themselves what encumbers them and, and burdens them become the 
slaves, whether it be legislative or economic or government. And right now, I think our government is turning more into a fascist government, and it's basically, uh, what do they keep talking about, um, economic inequality or something like that. Well, we have governing inequality in America. But when it comes to foreign countries in our nation around there, I believe that we have to be able to interface with those people in a manner and I don't know that I have the answer, but my philosophy is is that we have to interface with them in a manner that they want to become what we are in the sense of what we espouse to be. Because like Susan said, we're a pretty poor example. But at the same time, we have great ideas Thank about you. how we're a free people society, or Miss Susan, I should say. But um, oh. we are, we're supposed to be a, a self-governing free people society. But we might be the greatest society that's ever been on the face of the planet, but that still doesn't mean that we are a great society. Just because we are greater than all the lessers doesn't mean we've reached greatness yet. You know, it's like when Trump says, make America great again, I'm like going, wait, make America great first, because you can't be great again if you never were great in the first place. We've been the greatest on the planet Earth that's ever existed, I'll give them that, but since, like you were saying, Robert, our um, country is going to, well, I don't know if you said it, but this is kind of what I took out of what you were saying. We need the allies because if we just let the rest of the world run however they want and the majority of the rest of the world is not um, pro-self-government, they're more dictatorial dictatorships, then they are going to overrule us at some point because they're going to, like Susan's neighbor is just going to beat up Susan and take her house from her, you know. Well, we have to have allies in the rest of the world, otherwise the rest of the world is going to beat us up and take over our house. So there's a very careful balance of power and influence and how we influence people. It's not always what we do, but it's what we do or how we do what we do. Because it's like I can say, honey, I love you, but if I don't, you know, go about that in the right way, she takes it in the wrong way. She thinks I'm actually, or I don't want to put myself in that position, but there's a difference between sexual aggravated assault and true loving somebody. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes it's all in the eyes of the beholder. Well, Len, let's go ahead and bring it to you, Kelly, and then I'll give my take on it. Uh, go ahead, Kelly. Well, uh, the Israeli-Palestine problem is very complicated, as well as the UN. The UN is highly composed of Muslims, and they don't like Israel. They don't like America. Israel is our ally. I support definitely Israel. Within Israel, there are issues of the Palestinians and the Israelis or the Hebrews. And um, since I come from a long line of Jewish hog farmers, I, my opinion might be more relevant. Uh-huh. But <laughs> but anyway, the Palestinians are being treated cruelly by the Israelis. And at the same time, the Palestinians might be the instigators and its retaliations upon the Palestines. Now, maybe the Palestinians are instigating things so that... Um, the biased media will come out and say, oh, it's poor Palestinians, and oh, look what the Israelis did to us again, and, and the Israelis' positions, so we're trying to defend our own country. 
I watched uh, um, I watched an Israeli soldier who was touring America, and how they uh, the Israels do treat the, the Palestinians rather poorly. Um, it is very complicated, but it does but it does create the scenario where the Palestinians can say, "Oh, look at us, we're victims," and of course the Muslims in the UN are going to say, "Yeah, let's pass a resolution against Israel." Obama, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, we're seeing Obama's uh, and Obama's Muslim colors come more fully. um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, He's not trying to hide it anymore. Yeah, he's an obvious Muslim. Uh, Senator, uh, Vice President Biden, his speech was very offensive. But when Netanyahu came to America and he spoke before a joint session of Congress, there was... Um, at least a dozen or two standing ovations by our Congress, and so we have we. Have, well, we got the background stuff going on. Turn uh, mute your mic. So what we have here is we have a Congress that supports Israel, standing ovations left and right of Netanyahu, and then you have a president and a vice president doing their own thing. What the heck? Um, Obama didn't attend the speech by Netanyahu. Did you notice that? That was one of the most mm-hmm. offensive things. Our our leader, the leader of the of the, the free world, supposedly, um, that was such an offense to Israel that Obama. Could, oh wait a minute, there's probably peer pressure by the Muslims, and Obama had to. Oh pick, yeah. Well, obviously he picked, obviously. Uh, when he didn't appear at Netanyahu's speech before a joint session of Congress, obviously uh, Obama was pleasing his Muslim friends. And, of course, you know, stand down border patrol and, and um, OTMs, other than Mexicans, are coming across our border like crazy. What's going on, guys? Are they trying to start World War III, which, by the way, biblical prophecy, it'll start in Israel or the Middle East, World War III will. So what the heck, guys? You know, what... Is Obama making a last-ditch effort to get us into World War III? I don't know, but it's it's pretty... Well, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, because he, I mean, cause the Muslims think World War III is going to bring their, their imam back, or the, the 13th imam, and, and, if he's a, and if he's a Muslim, he may very well subscribe to that and think, you know, since his legacy here is pretty much going to be destroyed, he might as well go ahead and contribute to some sort of legacy, and perhaps he thinks that's going to be it. Well, you know, you know that because of the supposed Russian hack, Obama kicked out 35 delegates or diplomats yeah. from Russia, New mm-hmm. York and Maryland. I was like, really? I mean, the Japanese, their ambassador split a day or two before Pearl Harbor got bombed. So when you're doing this to ambassadors, that's a serious, serious uh, threshold that you're getting to regarding war. Of course, Putin was Putin was really cool. He just says, hey, you know what? The American um, ambassadors here, hey, they can just stay here, have a happy new year, enjoy some nightlife, feel comfortable here. That was a good response by Putin because he's trying to avoid yeah. World War III until um, until uh, Trump gets in. Trump's going to hopefully, uh, you know, peace through economic stability and trade. But Obama, you know, the best one of the best ways to destroy um, what the Muslims call the Great Satan, who would that be old. You know, there's great Satan, little Satan. That would be the United States. They hate us. But one of the best ways to destroy um, Israel's great protector is to have Russia and America go to war. I mean, look what we did mm-hmm. to the Muslim, the Iran-Iraq war. Mm-hmm. What was, you know, I don't know how many 
millions of people were killed. We were funding with arms both sides in the Iran-Iraq war. I mean, that was, you know, what were we doing? We were causing the Muslims to destroy each other. While Russia and America, Western thinking, yeah, get these two to war, and the Muslim ideology can continue even further to spread throughout the world. It, this is, I mean, we're getting to the point. It's still going on. They really are. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's only been happening since, like, the late 7th century. Um, you know, yeah, I don't think they've uh, ever ended well, Muhammad himself went on like 60-some raids, killing people. I mean, he just kind of, you know, roll your own religion. He went to the Jews, the monotheistic, monotheistic religion, and uh, the Jews and the Christians didn't like it, and now he retaliated, and he's retaliated ever since. Um, so, you know, what's going on here, guys? Well, we we have some very close, um, difficult situations here until the 20th. Um, you know, of course, the 20th will be a bunch of speeches. The 21st will get down to business. But, we, you know, mm-hmm. why would somebody want to get us into World War III and have the U.N. support? This is this is something, I'm glad you brought this up on your show. Um, I, I'm just, I hope we make it. I pray we make it to the 20th. And I hope Trump comes through with the promises of, of uh, peaceful economic relationships with Russia. Of course, we've got to watch China, watch the side note there. And, by the way, Obama's been um, pissing off the, the, the Chinese in the South Pacific. It's like, what the heck, guys? I, I mean, America, get what is that? What, America is getting what it asked for in some ways by electing Obama again. Of course, Romney wouldn't have been any better. But I just, ugh. Ugh. I'm just, I, I, before I start ranting anymore, I'm, I'm going to have to... Uh, Turn it back to you, Robert. Well, and here's my take. Let's go back, you know, where they're saying, you know, uh, make America great again, right? And you were saying about making America great. And I'll bring this back to the greatest generation. And I'll say that, you know, America has been great. And because I'm not going to subscribe to a lot of people say, you know, well, it depends on your skin color, this, that, blah, 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 whether America is great. Remember, I mean, when fascism you know, was getting ready to sweep, to sweep the globe. You know, we are, you know, the word fascism comes up on the show, you know, pretty frequently. But when, you know, who, who was it that stopped fascism from sweeping, uh, you know, across the world? Well, that was the United States. And I think that is, the, you know, an example of that is uh, an example of the make, a great, uh, make America great. That's when America was strong. That's when America was respected, you know, in the, in the World War II era. That's when, you know, the United States kept its word and protected its allies and did smart trade. I mean, that's when America was great, and I think Trump wants to bring us back to that era. But America was great, you know, you know, doing, you know, great things such as, you know, getting, you know, the, the, the space race and getting us to, the, you know, the moon. That's what I think Trump means by making America great again. And where, where that is in regards to our, our conversation in this segment, with Israel, is Israel is our ally, and remember, here's let's not just bring in Israel. What about Taiwan? Remember all the hula that came up, or hoopla that came up when you know just when Trump just took a you know a phone call, a congratulatory phone call from the president of Taiwan. You know all the hoopla that came up. But if people do research, you know we have treaties with Taiwan to protect them. You know if China was to attack them. 
I mean, those are our allies, and people forget about that. And the reason that for protecting our allies is if we are to be a country that can be trusted, that's what it's about for me. It's about trust. Can the United States be trusted? You know, you know we've mentioned here on the panel that, you know, all, you know, all the things that you negative that the United States has done. And, you know, but, but that's the point. I mean, from World War II until now, you know, the United States has done some things that weren't trustworthy. That's when we weren't so great again, or, or, or great. Well, let's bring it back to where we were great again, when we did protect our allies. <clears throat> you know, I mean, and that started in World War One. I. I mean, in World War One, there was equal uh, support in the United States population in World War One to join to join there's just as much support in World War One for us to join Germany than there was for us to join, you know, Britain. However, with Britain being, you know, our ally, that's because you know, and there's other events that happened that that pushed the public opinion towards joining uh you know, joining uh Britain. But in the beginning of the war, I mean there's people who who thought you know, we very well may, you know, join Germany. I know that a lot of Irish Americans, you know, thought that we would uh, be able to fight Germany, you know, join Germany to uh, withdraw Britain's grip, you know, the United Kingdom, which include Ireland, you know, to take the, their grip, you know, if we join Germany, we, you know, Ireland was right there uh, to, to break, you know, Great Britain's grip on them, you know, when Great Britain came and, and did their imperialism. And, you know, I mean, Great Britain had a you know, a history of imperialism, just like what the Germans did. So, I mean, what are we to say about that? We ended up joining, you know, Britain, who still had, you know, back then, you know, a, a, a sizable empire when we're talking about, you know, India and, and you know, in Africa, you know, parts of Africa, you know, I mean, where, where Britain had control, you know, Wales and Ireland, you know, things, you know, places of that nature. So if we want to, you know, compare, compare, you know, with that, you know, here we are. But, you know, in order for us to make America great again, we need to stick by our allies. Because if we're going to be a trusted nation again, and let's be frank, you guys know we're not. We're just not. The United States is not trusted the, the way that we were. And in order for us to get you get that trust back, we got to stand by our allies. And, I, and one of the things Obama's doing is he's trying to make it much harder for, you know, and I think what we discussed earlier with Kelly I think that those might be things in his mind, but he's also trying to make things out of spite, you know, harder for the next administration. I mean, they're talking about this, how this can affect, you know, the uh, the two state, uh, you know, what they call it, the, the two the two state solution with Palestinian and Israel. Well, this ain't going to help the two state solution. You know, it's not going to help it at all. You know, it's, it's, it's and so he's he's making it harder for Trump. Now, there's things that can be done. You know, and I, I I had an article uh, here. What you know, what could be done? You know, that the Trump administration could do. And amazingly enough, that was at the um, on the Washington Post. That was an opinion piece uh, from the Washington Post. And perhaps uh, we'll get that article on what they think could be the five ways. Uh, you know, Trump can uh, negate the what they call the anti-Israel UN. Security Council, you know, resolution. You know, there's ways that can be done, you know, if, and perhaps we'll get that far in that conversation. But when it comes to, you know, making America great and protecting our allies, 
And, I mean, I know there are some who would like to be isolationists. I've never been an isolationist, you know, you know, my, myself. Uh, and I understand, you know, but George Watson and Tangling Alliances. Uh, but let's think of the year that, you know, George Washington said that. You know, I mean, and, and think about that. I mean, if it wasn't for France, would there even be United States of America? I mean, we had to rely on our ally in France to fight against Great Britain for our existence. So, I mean, should we have not had that alliance? Let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Susan. What do you think? Okay, so maybe it's helped with the mic that needed to be muted for a time. Uh, we'll go ahead and bring it over to you, John. What's your thoughts on uh, the the topic? Oh, you know, so the comments that oh, are you, you there, Susan? Yeah, I I uh, it was muted, and I I was doing something, and then I just caught the end of what you said. Oh, he's talking to me. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> no, that's okay. Do you know? Here's a question to throw out on this. Why did Assad, Saddam, and Mubarak protect Christians? Um, do you know that Assad, 40,000 Christians say they feel safer under him. Even Saddam Hussein protected Christians. Uh, Mubarak mm-hmm. did to some degree. We, we overthrow these supposed people that are so bad, and they aren't real Great. Okay, let's put it. I I wouldn't want one of them right, right. having my daughter marry one of them. But uh, <laughs> when you interfere, when you interfere, he many times jumps from the frying pan into the fire, and that's what we did when we interfering. The Coptic Christians were in Egypt for thousands of years, and many times they were excluded for from government. But the religious leader, Pope Shinada III. Publicly endorsed the campaign for Mubarak. That was an exchange. He passed laws that favored by the church. So um, he, he did things in exchange, and, 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 and that's fine. I mean, as you know, uh, Novice Egypt, uh, those Coptic Christians have lost the protector, and they've been murdering them. I mean, in a lot of these countries, the Christians are getting murdered where they were protected, whether you like those other guys or not. And women under Assad and under uh, Chavarin did much, much better, too. Even even Gifadi hired, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, but he had armed bodyguards that were women. So he gave them jobs and, you know, did not want to deal with paper money. They wanted to deal with gold. And that's another reason that they pissed off the U.S. and the U.N. and Call the Federal Reserve and all that because they did not want to have anything to do with our paper dollars. They strictly wanted to deal in gold. And anyone who wants to do that, you're toast. You're toast. So if Donald Trump goes to try to create, I, I fear for him. Of all the things that he could do, that they've killed any president that has, um, like John Kennedy and different ones, they kill them if they try to bring in a gold back dollar. So I think that they did away with them for reasons other than having to do with Israel. Uh, it had to do with other things. Had to do with other things. That's just a cover, I think, to say, well, Palestine and this and that. And the, the voice is just a cover. And in the end, the Bible says, 
peace, peace, and there will be no peace, but they'll holler it. Well, that's what they do all the time. They holler, peace, 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 and it's all a bunch of tahooey. So we we caused a lot of these problems. The CIA did even. Uh, John Kennedy, Northwood, uh, when they tried to get, and, you know, I am no fan by any stretch of the imagination of Fidel Castro. He was evil to the core, but they wanted to go to war with him, so they were going to make fake attacks on American cities. Not fake. They were going to be real, but we would do them to ourselves. We would hurt our own people. That way we could blame it on Cuba and go to war with him. Kennedy found out. He was stopped to it. That's why the CIA hated Kennedy so much. We're willing to sacrifice our own to do something to someone else and interfere where we shouldn't be interfering. So that's all I've got to say. Well, as to, as to Iraq, I mean, I, I got, you know, mixed thoughts on that. One is I think a big part of reason why Bush went after um, went after Hussein was Hussein, you know, basically hired an assassin to kill Bush's father. Uh, but two is, I really do think that um, I really do think that there were, you know, weapons of mass destruction in uh, in Iraq. I really do believe that, and I do believe that. I mean, think about it. They debated whether we should go in there for what. 16, 18 months, I think it was 18 months, by the time, you know, they finally had the attack, then that gave them plenty of time to move those uh, chemical weapons to where? Syria. <clears throat> where do you think that Syria got those chemical weapons that they used, at their own, uh, they used on their own people? You know, when, they, when Obama said, you know, I put a line in the sand and you using those uh, chemical weapons, I think those chemical weapons came from Iraq you know, during that time, you know, we were, you know, de- deciding on whether we're going to go in there, you know, to get them. He gave them 18 months, you know, to, to get those get those out of there. And so uh, that's what I think. And I think, you know, should we have attacked Iraq? I, it, it, uh, you know, I mean, it, I think that if we were going to attack, which we did, I think we should have done it sooner. I think we wouldn't have had the problems. and I think if we would have done it sooner, we would have had the proof of weapons of mass destruction. I think they were there. I think we would have had proof they were there, and we may not have the same problems that we have now because we've lost support in what happened in Iraq. And if we would have done it sooner and been able to prove, you know, that those weapons of mass destruction were there, uh, which, I, as I said, I think they were there so they, they, they had the opportunity to move them to Syria then, you know, I think we wouldn't have as many of the problems as we have uh, today. Anyone want to make a comment on that? I, I think know. most stunned by my logic. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, you always have logic, but... <laughs> well, you know the war in Afghanistan... You know the war in Afghanistan. Pat, Pat, um, the the football player, Pat Tilson, Tilson, whatever. Can't think of his name at the moment. The famous guy um, that we uh, 
that went over as a football player from the Arizona Cardinals? You know who I'm talking about, right? I think you're right. I think it is Pat Tillman. Yeah, Pat Tillman. Okay. Um, yeah. He says that the real what, and, and when they did, Bush and them all got together. They had him shot by friendly fire. He was going to expose the truth. He was going to vote for John Kerry, which was a mistake <laughs> on his part, because Kerry was evil too. But um, the point is, he found out we were guarding the uh, poppy seed, the opium field, the you know the poppy seed field. And that's what we were. That was what the war was about. It wasn't about other stuff. It was simply about that. And I've got pictures that shows the soldiers. I wrote a blog article, a blog article on it. So we, they took him out so he'd be a martyr to get other young men to join and stuff. Yeah, they took him out. I blame Bush for that. I think he knew or his administration is, uh, knew. And I think that they deliberately and cold-hearted took him out on purpose. He knew too much. I did the research on it, and sorry, but it's just the truth. Our government can be just that evil. You know, if they take Kennedy out, you think that they would not hesitate on a football player? Speaking of football, Robert, <laughs> you see how I was on there in the, in the playoff. I, just had, I had to throw that in. You know that. You had to throw that in? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had to. And, of course, you'll cheer for him, right? I'm sorry? I said you'll cheer for them, right? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what. I haven't been really paying much. Uh, actually, I got a Super Bowl party I have to prepare for. Uh, but I haven't really been paying too much attention uh, to it because my home team and my, one of my other favorite teams aren't doing that great this year either, and that's uh, and that's the Cardinals. So. Yeah, well, they had a good guy in Pat Tillman, you know, until he left because he thought he was doing the right thing, uh, which is right, very, very right. sad. No, I agree with that. I agree. I, I admired him. I really did. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, people won't wake up and see the fact that our government is behind so many of these things, so much. There's so much manipulation out there. The John Birch Society stood up. Both sides saw Poland betrayed. Poland was betrayed. I mean, there have been so many countries that we betrayed and threw to the wolves. Not you and I, but perhaps our fathers, our grandfathers, their ignorance of not knowing these things and not being exposed, of really believing yep. innocently that our government was, was good and all that. Well, I used to believe that too. To but, 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 but on to the topic. I mean, do you think that you know Obama, with what he's done, has you know pretty much shown, uh, as, as you know, kind of what, what Kelly was talking about. You know, I mean, you know, pretty much shown his true colors, and maybe even shown indeed he is a Muslim. Or at least has very oh, yeah. strong I... uh, Muslim or Islamic sympathies. Why would they even care? Why would they even be offended he didn't show up? I'd be celebrating. I'd say, yes, that evil dude isn't here. <laughs> I mean, I, I was stunned when I found out the Clintons are going to Donald Trump's inauguration. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I wouldn't allow them in. 
I'm sorry. I'll be I got them sit there with handcuffs on. I can't believe it. I don't even know why they'd want to be there. I don't know why you'd want them there. So if I'd have been the ten year well, I can't think of this how I don't know how to pronounce his name. Right from Israel. I'd have been happy that Obama didn't show up. I've been thrilled. Who'd want him? I wouldn't want him. Susan, are you using are you using a speakerphone or do you talk directly in your phone? I always have a hard time making out everything you're saying. Uh, I have a Bluetooth. It's just easier when I'm, you know, because otherwise I have to pull, hold the phone for a couple hours by my ear, and I can't do that. I just can't do it. Do I need to talk louder? Or? Well, yeah, so a lot of times it's harder for us to hear hear you, but, you know, maybe you have to try to do the, um, to do that. Look at that. Sun found an article yeah. on... Uh, Obama's $2 million retirement property in the Middle East. Oh, are you serious? Well, now, now I'm getting some static, so I don't know what's going on with that. Oh, that's me. Sorry. Is that you, Kelly? Quit it. <laughs> I agree with you, Robert. If he's going to move outside of the U.S. territories, he needs to foot his own bill. Yeah, I don't think we need to, uh, yeah, let's see about that. Yeah, let's see. Amen. Kick him out. Drag him out. Trying to find, uh, let's see here. Trying to find these different articles here. Can I make a quick comment on what you were saying earlier? Ooh. Um, well, you guys were talking earlier. Well, I'm trying to find. Uh, well, I'm trying to find here. You because know, I, I just heard it. I didn't, you know, briefly. Um, and I'm trying to find. Uh, an article here on on that. See, we're working. Working live. Let's see. Hey, Robert, why are you perhaps? Hey, while, while you're looking for that, I want to throw out something. No, go ahead, certainly. So there's a survey done that 50% of the Hillary voters believe the Russians have hacked the election. If some freak weird thing happens where Congress votes for Hillary, I'm going to print up T-shirts. The T-shirts are going to be called Make American Grapes Again. Grapes, as in vino, so people can get drunk. So make American grapes again if Hillary <laughs> wins in Congress. Holy Kelly. <laughs> Robert, when you were talking earlier and you said that, you know, we have to be able to trust our allies, I think that is a rudimental, fundamental, essential, even in our own backyard between ourselves, because that is where I think 
most of the problem is, now I don't have an answer, but I'm disagreeing with you, but I think it goes even deeper to the fact that we in here, in this United States need to look, and I'm guilty of not being as, you know, uh, cautious and trustworthy, so to speak, in my days growing up, especially as a young kid, you know, you're learning and trying to understand, but even as an adult, you don't realize that you're impacting people in a way that makes them distrust you, and you don't always do it on purpose. Some people do it on purpose, and those that do create more of a problem, but then those of us that aren't really trying to create distrust, when we do it accidentally and we you know, blindly don't realize that we're doing it, then it makes it even tougher for our country to come together to be able to have other countries believe or have trust. Because just like you were talking about, um, people were saying, we, we, this, we, that. Well, our government officials, those are individual people and groups of people that work for us, do things in our name that we didn't really consent to or agree with and now we have to bear the blunt of their actions and that means the rest of the world hates us whenever we do stuff that we shouldn't be doing and I'm saying we when it wasn't even you or I or anybody on this call and who knows if it's even anybody listening to this call but the people who get elected into office whether they intentionally or unintentionally do it they need to be more more cautious than anybody else but it boils down to even us getting along with our neighbors we can't even trust the people in our own backyard in our own city a lot of times because of that stuff it's just gotten so sad and i think it has a lot to do with the faster pace of life and technology too we don't want to have any real deep discussions that are more fully vetting we want everything in a 140 character sound bite that's quick and you know move on and where you can't really solve you know 64 million or what 200 trillion dollar questions with a three-hour conversation it takes many many years i mean just the founding of our country before we even had all the laws we have just think night back in 1776 and then the uh, 1787, between those two times of, you know, our Declaration of Independence and our um, U.S. Constitution, they didn't have all the intricate, complex laws and rules and stuff that we have in all these states. They were just getting started, and it was hard enough to get everything straight there, and they still about lost everything. So <laughs> I think you're right. It goes back to trust. Yeah, well, I, I can't find anything on that. Now, I heard that was, that was just a, a rumor that's been debunked that he actually bought a $2 million mansion uh, in Dubai or, or, or somewhere in Saudi Arabia or some somewhere in the Middle East. So perhaps – here's the thing. It, it was actually on an article. I think it said on the Boston Globe, but uh, that, that article has since been taken down. Uh, so who knows, right? Um, so maybe it was something they were thinking about, but – <clears throat> Maybe someone did say, yeah, we're not going to pay for your protection there, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest, and then it wouldn't surprise me if he would do that and still expect to get uh, Secret Service protection uh, over there as well.
how to find more, how to find out more about that. Not if I have anything to say about it. So, you know, so I, you know, I just think, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting that, you know, all these so-called rumors, you know, you know, about Obama and, and about the, you know, the Democratic Party, you know, when, when it came to, um, you know, these WikiLeaks, you know, and then when Obama started to show his true colors. I really think that, um, I mean, things are really coming coming out to be true and they're really coming to the fruition. I mean, I think that now that, you know, Obama knows that his, his legacy's pretty much could be destroyed. He's got to think of something else, you know, uh, to remember by other than, you know, a, a you know, president worse than even uh, Jimmy Carter, <laughs> you know, so. Well, at least that's a record he could look forward to, the worst president in the, you know, this generation or, you know, since the founding of our country. And at least he hit that record. Yeah, uh, certainly. I know, no, but then my dad. Now it makes me wonder how many people like with my dad. My dad was a Reagan Democrat. I mean, he uh, was a Democrat until you know, Carter. And I, I remember just being ten years old, and my dad just railing on Carter. Uh, man, he could not stand Carter. And as I said, my dad grew up as a Democrat, um, but he became a Republican with with Reagan. It just makes me wonder how many people uh, have who were Democrats or who are now Republicans. Uh, because of Obama, or maybe even Hillary Clinton, for that matter. I think the two parties. Uh, go, well, somebody else might want to jump in. No, go, go, go ahead, John. And then we've got about uh, ten minutes before uh, we have to uh, close things out, <laughs> so I'll be taking uh, closing thoughts uh, in a little bit, also. So go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that um, I don't know the full history of this Democrat and Republican system, but to me, they're the blame. The people who actually orchestrated the two-party system, they're the blame for the crappy president's uh, nominees that we're getting, at least since Reagan. And I mean, like I've said on earlier shows before, I've always had to go vote against somebody. I've never, ever got to vote for somebody. I mean, Reagan was probably the closest one that got to me voting for him, but it's really the fault of the people who manipulated this two-party system, because they are the ones that gave us Donald Trump and and uh, Hillary Clinton. And in my humble opinion, they're the worst candidates we've had ever. In a long time, I'm glad Trump beat out. We can only blame it on the rigged system, because if we had a system where we tried to actually get mutual assent from all of us that we all agree this is the right candidate, and then use the two, you know, third vote, um, what they call it a majority or plurality or whatever. I, I mean, there's just got to be a better way for us to get nominees that we all can get behind. Whereas right now our country is so divided, and it's because of this crappy system. It brings us the worst people to be elected. And, I mean, none of the people were on stage this year on any party. Well, I mean, as far as Democrat and Republican. I mean, like I would have voted for, like, Daryl Castle and felt more like, hey, I'm actually voting for somebody I like. Whereas always because of this 
screwed up system and the people who created it this way, and they rigged the system to lock it in where we the people don't even have access to redress our grievances. That it's like, how do you get it straightened out? I mean, it's all just a psychological scam, game, mind game. I don't know. That's just my frustration. But I blame it on the two parties, the people who created the two party system, for the crappy presidents we get. And here's an article. I mean, it's just kind of an article that I found here. Uh, it's not the one about the mansion. I mean, I guess that kind of was debunked. We'll see. Um, but this one's uh, from the Daily Wire. It says, yes, Obama's really a Muslim. Claims Muslims, despite the media's concerted effort to declare emphatically that Barack Obama is a devout practicing Christian, many still believe uh, that behind closed doors actually is at, uh, doors Obama is actually a Muslim, or at least more sympathetic to Muslims than Christians. To the great disappointment of those who'd like to blame all of Obama's conspiracy things on bigger clingers, theories on the bitter clingers claim that Obama is a Muslim are perhaps more persistent among a surprising group. Muslims in the Middle East. Uh, 2015 CNN Opinion Research uh, Corporation poll asked Americans if they knew what Obama's religion was. Uh, he is Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Mormon, Muslim, something else, or not religious, asked the pollsters. The results were eye-opening. Over six years into his presidency, majority of Americans doubted that Obama believed that he publicly said he believed. Only 39% said he was a Protestant Christian, well, 29% said they believe he was a Muslim. But the theory that Obama, <clears throat> Obama is a Muslim is not just an American phenomenon. The Washington Post explains that Muslims, uh, Obama's theories, I'm sorry, explains that Muslim Obama theories have mutated as they traveled abroad, adapting in unexpected ways to fit, uh, fit regional arguments in the Middle East. A persistent widespread theory is that Obama is not just a Muslim, but a particular brand of Muslim. I'm not trying to say he's a Shiite. So the theory, the theory seems to have gained even more traction as of late due to Obama's administration's unflinching devotion to Iran, resulting in Sunni leaders in the region blaming Obama's supposed religious affiliation for his political bias. So, who knows? Now there's, you know, perhaps... Uh, that is uh, that is the case, but I do see that uh, we only got about ten minutes left in the show, and so we'll just have to have uh, Obama prove it more so uh, that either the Muslim or definitely a strong uh, Muslim sympathies. And so we are going to take a couple minutes each uh, for some closing thoughts, and we'll start with you, Susan, and then we'll give it over to you, John, and then Kelly, and then I'll close things out for the night. Go ahead, Susan. I found an email, MinutemanNews.com. UN moves establishing the blacklist of Israeli companies. Um, nobody, if I want to boycott Israel, if I want to boycott some country, my country and the people should be notified, we should talk about it, we should vote on it. It shouldn't be the United Nations who's behind this. And we're, I mean, who gives them the authority and the power to to tell us or anyone to boycott anyone. It shouldn't happen. We make our own decisions. We're our own country. We're a republic, so we should do what we want to do, not follow the U.N. It has nothing to do do with whether we think we should boycott them or shouldn't boycott them. It has to do with the U.N. telling 
us and others what to do. That's what it has to do with. That's it for me. I'm. Yeah. Well, thanks, Susan. I uh, appreciate it. And uh, you have a good week. Well, I'm sure we'll talk throughout the week uh, at times, and then we'll uh, we'll see you back next week with our guest, Randy Stufflebeam, running for governor of Illinois. Uh, let's go ahead and bring it over to you, John. Okay, I'm, um, you know, thinking about you guys. Well, I think that we ought to save a lot of money by not even investing in the U.N. anymore. I'm with Trump on the sense that the U.N. is really not... He may do that. <laughs> Go ahead. Say that again? He may do that. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I agree with him on that. I mean, I love, I like a lot of the things that Trump stands for. Unfortunately, I just think that he's kind of a snake oil salesman in the sense that he doesn't really intentionally plan to really follow through with them. However, I'm saying that in hopes he'll make me eat my words, because if he does deliver, we've got a lot of great stuff, but the Mr. Ryan and all these people down ballot, they're just going to, like we've been talking about, I mean, we're going to have, I want to put out a call of action for all of the listeners, anybody who gets this podcast or is listening now, make sure and keep track of all this Excuse stuff me. and get hold of all of your local representatives and congressmen in your state as well as um, the federal level and make them be accountable to Trump's policies and stuff. We elected Trump hooker cook with the crappy rig system that we got. And now we just want to try to make sure that he's able to follow through. And as long as Ryan, Paul Ryan and some of these kind of nutbags are in his way, they're going to try to stand in his way, give you guys some time. I'll sit here and ramble. But anyway, I think we have to be very careful and try to get the American buy-in. Otherwise, we're going to continue to have more division, and then there is going to be more violence and riots in the streets, and they will have to call a martial law because we just are too divided right now. And I want to protect from that to get us all on the same page and try to unify by mutual assent. Back to you, Robert. Well, I appreciate that, John. We'll see you again next week. Let's bring it over to you, Kelly, and then I'll have to close things out. Well, I hope everybody likes Cheryl by Chester tonight. Um, I just, yeah, I'd be so a great guest. excited. Thank you. Yeah, she got on the Environmental Quality Advisory Board. Um, let's see what else. Megan Kelly, yeah, put her on that magazine. Cost my boobs weigh a ton. Um, Israeli release. <laughs> yeah, so I'm hoping to get a laugh from that. All right. Um, Israelis, Middle East, what a mess. Just a freaking mess. Um, Trump, is he going to follow through? I hope he does. Watch the Electoral College vote by Congress tomorrow. It's going to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not tomorrow, it's Friday, day after tomorrow. And of course, we've got to hope and pray that we don't have World War III between now and when Trump takes office. So, I, boy, you know, this whole election season, it's like the Twilight Zone and the gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> so, with that, I turn it back over to you, Robert. Oh, by the way, I'm so glad you're back on, and I'm yeah, terribly sorry about your situation and family things. And, you know, I, I appreciate it. 
Yeah, I'm sure your wife appreciated a good husband to be there for her during well, I her do, I, 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 Well, I, I, I did my best, um, but, uh, you know, there's still some, some things that we're still going to have to to move through, uh, but we also need to uh, be able to move forward some stuff as well. I tell you what, uh, as to my, uh, I didn't know her sister all that well, uh, but I didn't know her, her, her mother. She was always kind to me, um, so definitely has left a, um, you know, an empty spot in, in uh, my wannabe Vulcan heart, and so uh, she'll definitely be missed. But anyway, folks, uh, I am going to close tonight, as I have other nights uh, since we've done the show, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn, and you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So we'll see you next week, folks. Uh, again, uh, tell your friends, visit the podcast uh, here on Blog Talk Radio, or you can also uh, get it on iTunes. Uh, so download it and share it with your friends. So take care. We'll see you, and good night. Good night. Good night.